You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM, WTGZ, Tuskegee, Auburn, and AM620 WTRP, LaGrange. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into the Friday edition of Sports Call Live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan Lavoy, Brooks Childress, and Cam Berry with you here on this Friday afternoon as we get you set for all things Auburn and Georgia inside of Jordan-Hare Stadium tomorrow afternoon, just under 24 hours away from now. So we'll preview that game in its entirety, both sides of the ball, some of the matchups to look out for, and how Auburn can try to find the opportunity to pull off a big upset against the number one team in the nation. We'll also be talking all things college football here on this Friday. There is a top 25 matchup in, in the sport tonight. There's some other top 25 matchups over the weekend. And so we'll be previewing all the action in the college football world in the Southeastern Conference and all over the place. Again, Ryan, Cam, and Brooks with you here on this Friday. If you want to give us a call on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, one tiger 9 I turn to you first, Cam. I hope you've had a good continuation of your week. How are you this afternoon? Yeah, doing great. Uh, just on a, a really great Friday, uh, just the end of the week. I've uh, just been really just working really hard to kind of rebuild a show. So that's really what uh, my main focus has been throughout the week. Uh, excited to talk some some uh, Auburn and Georgia. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm doing good, man. How are you doing, Ryan? Uh, well, I, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm doing quite well. I'm, uh, I'm doing some more traveling this weekend, going home. Sweet. And uh, very busy today trying to catch up from the two days I missed earlier this week. But uh, the mood is positive overall. I appreciate that. Of course. Uh, Brooks Childress also on the show. Brooks typically goes out on Friday nights. So we usually only uh, – let me clarify. I, I should have continued on. Party <laughs> Brooks guy. usually parties on Friday nights. He's yeah. a party. <laughs> Brooks usually goes out to high school football games on Friday night, mainly the Beauregard Hornets, and uh, and does great coverage with, with them here on Tiger 95.9. But they have a bye week this week, so you'll hear from Brooks on this show all three hours today. Brooks, good to have you on for the full length of the show. How are you this afternoon? It is great. I enjoy – uh, my, I enjoy going out and, and taking care, you know, uh, helping with high school football and being out there uh, ar- around the area on some of these great football games that we have on our airwaves. But it, it, I was telling you at lunch, Ryan, it is gonna, it is refreshing. I am, I am excited to sit here and talk college football for three hours, mainly Auburn and Georgia, but uh, uh, the rest of the college football slate is pretty decent this weekend, and so can't wait to talk about all of it and uh, and uh, talk to all of our callers. And I'm 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 excited. I'm I'm a little giddy. Already. Thanks for thanks for being our uh, th- thanks for taking a break from being our resident party animal to uh, to <laughs> yeah, join us know. for three hours. You know, 
Uh, Brooks, you've had a uh, long week. You're going to help us out with uh, the, the board operation side of things tonight. It's longer. After hosting two, uh, two shows this week, so certainly appreciate you. And uh, you will be hosting for me on Monday, as I will also miss next Monday. So certainly appreciate you for all that. Let's get going today, this afternoon, as we talk all things Auburn and Georgia. Again, coming up in just under 24 hours inside of Jordan-Hare Stadium, the Deep South's oldest rivalry. Georgia favored by about 14, 14 and a half points, depending on where you look and when you look. Uh, but about a two-touchdown favorite over the Tigers. Obviously, guys, when we start talking Auburn at this point of the year, I'm sure everyone's heard it till everyone's blue in the face. But uh, it's going to start around the offense. And we've talked pretty much bef- since the Cal game coming into each of these games, both Sanford, Texas A&M, and Al, Georgia what the plan should be and in terms of play calling in terms of strategy and now you have to add in terms of who's playing quarterback and that sort of thing so we'll start there with the offensive strategy going into Georgia what makes the most sense to you guys I I still think you got to find a way to get Peyton Thorne in a rhythm whether it's short quick throws that that make it easy for him to to you know, just just get a rhythm. You got to get a, get him as comfortable as possible, uh, and then maybe lean on your run game a little bit. Again, I know it's going to be hard against that UGA um, defense, especially the front four, uh, and I mean even getting the ball to the receivers as well is going to be difficult because UGA has extremely talented DBs and corners. Um, but you got to do what you can. You know, play play to the best of your ability um, and use. Just some easy throws in the offense and, and maybe get Peyton Thorne going because he is going to be the starter. So you just got to see what you can work with and, and go from there, build off of that if you can find any success in that. Uh, I think it really would be key if you if you can go down the field and, and um, just put points on the board. Maybe a touchdown obviously would be the most ideal, but even even getting a field goal and getting within field goal range and being able to move the move the ball down the field will would um, would bring some happiness. So that that's kind of what uh, I expect from from Auburn. And, and Hugh Freeze said that he's been very involved in the game plan this week. Uh, so maybe he's seeing some different things, and it seems like he really wants to get some RPOs going, and um, that would be definitely uh, something I'd be interested in seeing. So uh, that's kind of what I'm expecting. Yeah, and you know, when you look at this uh, this matchup this weekend, um, not not a lot of things point in Auburn's favor right now. I, I do agree with you. Cam, I think that you need to. If Peyton Thorne is your guy, you got to get him into a rhythm. Yeah. You got to get. I mean, it's a must. You, you got to get you know play calls in there uh, that are they're going to help with uh, get get Thorne into a rhythm. But also, you need uh, you need Thorne to help you get himself into a rhythm. You you need to you know get some play calls that you know get get him some confidence here uh, to open up the game, and then you kind of you can build off of that and you know get some more difficult uh, passing patterns or difficult or more right. or more RPOs in there. But you got to get him comfortable. You got to get him confident because uh, you know you a, a quarterback. Uh, we, we all know quarterbacks are uh, they they can get in their heads a little bit sometimes. And you know the Cal game, you're, you're switching them back and forth. I'm sure that didn't help uh, confidence, and then that that Texas a performance didn't help his confidence any and so it's uh you, you got to get him into a rhythm you got to get him uh get him some some get his confident get some throws uh some easy throws that are that help with the confidence boosting 
And then, you know, the defensive side of things, you got to play like you had these last couple weeks because the defense has been pretty solid. And, uh, you, you know, you, you look at this team, you look at this Georgia team you're facing, they're very slow starters this year on offense. They're, they, you know, they've, they've put up a, a good amount of points in their games, but it hadn't been until the second half. And it really hasn't been, you know, against much competition except for maybe South Carolina. Um, and so if, if you can, if your defense can do, uh, can do you know uh, a similar job in what they've done these past weeks against other opponents and hold that Georgia offense to a very low score in the first half and you give your offense a little chance to get their confidence under them and, and get into a little bit of rhythm um, that could that could spell a, the, the recipe for what it's going to take for Auburn to upset Georgia on Saturday. You know I think when we're looking at the types of, of play calling to open up the game last week when Cam and I were discussing it we were discussing the, the various options you could go, whether you tried different styles of run to open up or if you tried vertical passing, they they opted for the different styles of run. The Peyton Thorne part of it didn't go well, but they did get some early success on the ground with some of their main running backs, uh, and then that kind of waned in the middle part of the game and just nothing went well in the middle part of the game. I think this time, reading Hugh Freeze's comments last night from Tiger Talk, and I'm going to quote a couple of them here in just a second, I think the clear indication here is they're going to start to do more RPOs, and they're going to start to more – more. Uh, you, could, you could say simple because it, it is this or that, but more decision-making plays. Uh, I last night on Tiger Talk, Q Free said, "quote If we don't see some RPOs soon, I'm gonna have a heart attack." End quote. And then also follow that up was with, "I was more involved in the game plan this week for the Georgia matchup. It cost me a little time in recruiting." Again, this goes back to the ultimate decision before the season even started, even as soon as they made the offensive coordinator hire, as soon as Hugh Freeze was hired, that he was always planning on taking a bit of a step back from the offensive game planning so that he would recruit more. Uh, and that has obviously come to a head a little bit here in the first four games of the year as there's been a lot of questions surrounding the offense. And we've seen the lack of RPOs. as something that Brant has pointed out on the Monday shows. Uh, it's something that Hugh Freeze ran a lot of in Ole Miss, and obviously we've not seen a ton of RPO action this year. Saw it in some of the lesser games against Sanford and UMass. But uh, aside from that, have not seen it much in the Power 5 matchup. So Freeze referencing that he got a little bit more into the to the offensive yeah. room this week uh, and that you kind of signaling that putting two and two together, there probably be some more RPO concepts in there. Uh, which will be interesting. You know, that is something that Georgia will have tape on from other Hugh Freeze coaching stops right. and that sort of thing, but not necessarily from his time in Auburn. And still the point remains that Philip Montgomery will still call the bulk of the plays. But I do think that, I mean, again, taking taking what was said last night, I think clearly Freeze is already getting a little antsy on trying to get more involved in that offensive scheme and, and again, they, they talk a lot about the terminology would be kind of messed up if they went back to freeze terminology, and, and that's kind of the excuse they're going with for not going back into it. I'm not necessarily calling for for that to happen this year, but unless we see something real out of Philip Montgomery, real improvement out of the offense later on, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and make the assumption that someday, whether when they get more players in a couple years down the line, whatever, 
they're going to end up having Hugh Freeze call plays again or call the majority of them. I think that's something that will end up happening unless you get a, a vastly different offensive performance here in the near future. We're going to go ahead and go to our orthopedic clinic phone line for the first time today. 334-887-3401 locally or toll free one triple eight nine tiger 9 First up on the show this afternoon. Anthony from Auburn. Anthony is with us. Anthony, how are you this afternoon? I'm doing good today. And you guys? Doing well. Doing well, sir. I just read an article a minute ago. Uh, the Georgia Athletic High School, the Georgia High School Athletic Association, uh, is going to consider first thing money. They're going to go behind closed doors and meet and discuss whether they should uh, go ahead and approve NIL deals for high school athletes or whatnot. I mean, that would be a game changer in that state and uh, possibly throughout the South and, and neighboring neighboring states that might want to go ahead and, uh, and approve such a deal. You guys heard anything? Uh, I have I, not. I have not either. I, I, I would hope not. <laughs> caution very strongly against that for high school players. Yeah. Very, very, very strongly very. would be against that. Might be a bit too much. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, $5,000 yeah. might be a little too much, maybe if they kept it in that range or something. Well, because it gets to be a slippery slope. I think it's more about principle at that age than what the actual yeah. figure is and that sort of thing. And well, again, I, and Brooks talks a lot about this with because he covers so many high school sports. He does our coaches' show and all that uh, about how there still is an element of purity to high school football because anyone can play it. And well, yeah, if we yeah. and we start making the finance fi- financial part of it, I think that takes a lot of that out of it. And so I that that's all. I'm already I'm already drawing a line that I'm not really wanting to see that. Well, some communities that would, but some communities uh, that's already taken out of it. If you go to Auburn High School right now, somewhere like that, they say it's almost uh, next impossible to get on on the football team if if you hadn't uh, started out maybe in the junior high ranks or, or early on, uh, you know, uh, seventh grade, sixth grade, or whatever it is. That uh, it's almost impossible. So much politics involved that uh, it's even hard to do that now. Have you guys heard anything about that? I, I I talked to uh, the the defensive coordinator over there, Coach Goolsby, uh, every single week in the high school coaches show, and he was telling me this week that they dress about a hundred players every single Friday night. Wow, that's good. So if, if if they're having trouble getting folks on the team because of of the politics, it's it's a lot more people than a hundred are trying to play football at Auburn High. Man, that's that's something awesome. They dress in a hundred every uh, every Friday night. You don't know how many seniors they got on the team, dude. Uh, I I don't think they've got a lot because Coach Goolsby, at least on the defensive side, he was talking about how they were pretty young this year. Oh, man. Well, that ain't going to leave much room next year for the guys that are coming out of the junior high program. They're going to be looking to move up to the varsity, to the high school or whatnot. Yep. Oh, God, they're going to be a whole – you think about it. If you got a whole ninth grade team, right? Yeah. You don't, you don't, know, how many, you, you don't know how many guys on the ninth grade team, do you? Uh, I do not. Well, I would assume they just say 50 just because we're on the phone talking. Sure. Well, if you got 50 players moving, we're hoping to move up, and uh, you don't really have any seniors going to vacate in the spots, and, and the people already there are going to be back next year, then you got 50 people that uh, ain't got nowhere to go, I would assume. Yeah, they, and and he was uh, 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 Goolsby was talking about um, how they they always you know they're always looking for opportunities and uh, you know some of these last couple games they've played uh, Jag and Percy Julian uh, the two Montgomery schools in their region and they they handled those games pretty well and so they were able to get uh, get a lot of their guys in for just some playing time but you know when you're playing teams like Central and Enterprise Dothan you you don't have a lot of opportunities to get some of the young guys in some playing time. No, you're not going to have opportunity those type of uh, big marquee games. Uh, do they have a, a B team? We used to have a B team when I played. They yeah, still JV. have I think they do have a JV team. Okay, well, I guess they'll get some experience uh, exposure there until they can get on the uh, 
with the big boys and whatnot. But you know, uh, when they finish this new high school they uh, supposed to build, then that's gonna, uh, you know, open the doors for uh, a big large team too. I would assume it's supposed to be a seven eight team too because the population is so high here that uh, it can also be a seven eight, and it also should probably address that many players. Yeah, I, w- I would expect so. That's what we've heard is that it, it if when they they get the new high school built, it's going to still be on a seven A level, and so you, you'd think that it'd be just about uh, uh, that many players out there too. Yeah, the c- city of Auburn continues to grow, so that's still you know several years away from being completed. So even by that time, there'll be even more uh, enrollment there, and and I think that as you said, they might bo- both schools would probably be seven A. At least one of them would still would, and uh, yeah, that would be it would be still quite large. Man, that's going to be something to see if you got two powerhouse 7A schools uh, right here in this town. Uh, you know, how that's going to work out. Uh, I, I would assume they'd be in the same region, I, I would think, unless they yeah. – uh, well, yeah, yeah, Unless the Alabama High School Athletic Association had a really weird meeting. Uh, yeah, no, I, that they certainly should be. Man, that's going to be awesome. But, you know, I, a lot of people are concerned that that might uh, divide the town somewhat. Uh, if you got two schools like that uh, – competing like that 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 might be a problem that maybe one of them should be a 6a and then you wouldn't run into that problem i don't know we'll see but that that has been brought up uh when he was discussing about uh building another high school and that was that was a main concern well you know that that just depends on size because it's you know they they, you can't just stick a team in 6a it it, you i mean if if it wasn't big enough you could stick them but if auburn keeps growing the way it does they could get to 7a really quickly god i wait i like to see uh what they gonna name the school or whatnot, and and how that works out. As uh, far as uh, moving along to college football, well, tomorrow Auburn and Georgia meet, and that's supposed to be the oldest rivalry in the South, right? Uh, yeah, Deep South's oldest rivalry. Yep. I want to see how this game uh, shakes out tomorrow. I mean, I know Auburn ain't really played that well and everything, and probably the big underdog. And you know, uh, at times Georgia hadn't really played that well, and they really ain't played nobody. To be honest with you, I mean, you know, they played UAB, I think, a week or two ago and some other little schools, but but uh, the quarterback I don't think is good as they have had in the past, but we'll see what Georgia does tomorrow. But, you know, I don't know, maybe Freeze might get you guys motivated. You might have a big – well, it's definitely going to be a soft-eating conference showdown, but who knows? You know, Auburn might play toe-to-toe, jaw-to-jaw, and it may be a close game, and Auburn may win, or either Georgia will go ahead and do what they're supposed to do. I mean – Sometimes you just never know because I remember one time when Pat Dye was coaching and they had played Georgia, and I think Randy Cameron ran a naked bootleg, and uh, he said in the locker room after the game that Randy, you know, when he ran that bootleg, he went as athletic as uh, most quarterbacks or whatnot, and that was all Georgia had an All-American defensive end that he beat at the goal line and scored the touchdown that would uh, move Auburn on into the win- winner's circle and on into the Southern Conference Championship, if I'm not mistaken, giving the title outright or whatnot. But he said he wasn't supposed to do it, but he did that particular time. And the guy was crying and all the players hollering and carrying on in the locker room. And, and, you know, that was a very emotional moment. They may have a clip on YouTube. If you guys get a chance, I'd encourage you to take a look at that. I'll talk to you all later. Thank you. Sounds good. Appreciate the phone call, Anthony. That is Anthony calling from Auburn on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. We're going to take our first timeout of the show today. Back with more after this timeout.
Sports Call crew wants to hear from you. Give us a phone call at 334-887-3401. This is Philip Lolly, former Auburn Tigers football assistant coach for the 2010 National Championship team, and you are listening to Sports Call. Sports Call Tiger 95.9. Ryan Mavoy, Brooks Childress, and Cam Berry with you here on this Friday afternoon talking all things Auburn and Georgia this afternoon. And again, we let off the show with a little more on the game planning for the Auburn-Georgia game and what needs to be seen out of the offense. I think everyone understands the decision-making part of it from Peyton Thorne. Uh, needs to improve. I think that there is some offensive line pass protection gains to be made. I think they're doing an okay job in the run game. However, one of the ultimate tests of that is having to block against Georgia. And I think that that's obviously going to be a big test for the Tigers. It's just very tough because you're having these questions of which you hoped you would not have at a time in which you are playing the toughest part of your schedule. You do get the bye week next week, but then you go to LSU, uh, who is going to have a, a big matchup this weekend that we're going to talk about a little bit later. But I, I just think that it is it, – it's not a – again, I know that Peyton Thorne is going to be starting tomorrow, but for those that were thinking or maybe more enticed by Holden Gurner – it's just a tough week to do that. The argument for is you're at home. Uh, let's see what he's got. You know it's not been going well with everyone else. The argument against is you're playing the number one team in the country, a team known for defense, and is this really the team that you want him to have his first whirl at uh, if you're thinking long-term? And maybe, maybe you're not even worried about long-term. Maybe you are of the opinion that they – will be very content with Walker White next year. I think he's absolutely going to be the front runner to get the job unless they bring in someone else transfer portal-wise. But as far as this year is concerned, you're not even halfway to the end of the season, and you won't even be there after this Georgia game. So there's a lot to figure out for this year and a lot that can still be progressed on. And I go back to the RPO stuff, right? So – don't really know how Holden Gurner would, would carry that. We know with Robbie Ashford, that's not something that was going on last year. And he is, in a way, asked to make a lot of decisions pre-snap or certainly at the beginning of the snap. But those are usually read option type decisions, whether to hand the ball or keep the ball, not usually to hand it or throw it. And it's still a different kind of decision. Sometimes you're reading the same player, but for a different purpose. And then with Thorne, the decision-making grade so far this year is you saw even in the Sanford game, this is something I wanted to go back to, uh, I neglected to the other day. 
even in the Sanford game, which was his most productive as a passer, made a lot of good throws, made people feel better about it. I still go back to that second and goal play really early, first drive of the game, uh, which was the play before the, the third and goal interception, and how that was an RPO. And if he hands the ball off as a touchdown, instead he throws the 1-1 fade, which, again, what you're reading pre-snap, that was not wrong in what you read pre-snap because you do have one-on-one, which is what you're looking for in a way. But also, you still have time as the ball's being snapped to observe – I, I know it happens. Right. Yeah, I know it fast, happens. Bang though. bang. Yeah. I'm not trying to say, oh yeah, you know, sit there, have a cup of tea, you know, and then and then figure it out. But you do have a chance when you're receiving the ball to observe what's going on with offensive line. Yeah, it's not easy, but it's something that right. you should be able to do. It's something doable. Yeah. And if you hand the ball there as a touchdown, that right there is probably the type of thing that scared Philip Montgomery into not calling a lot of RPOs, but I think that's something that we're probably all ready to see yeah. this Saturday, including obviously what Hugh Freeze said last night. Yeah, we're definitely ready to see it. Just just to let him make the decision himself and learn from the the mistakes. If if you know if he does make the mistake, if not, then you know he's he'll make the right read, and and that's something that um, you know I'm sure I'm sure uh, Philip Montgomery would be happy to see. So I, I don't know. Uh, I, I think that the RPOs will definitely be seen in this game. I think there will be a, a – I think it will be pretty heavy RPO, honestly. Um, but I, I think if it works out, um, you know, Auburn might have finally found the offense that they're looking for. When I look at the opportunity at Georgia's defense, because Georgia – really the, the threat that they pose has been so far, I, I get that they have not – maybe lived up to last year's team, although they've not really had the the big game to do that in yet. What made last year's team so dominant was not what they did against the, the le- lesser half of their schedule. It's what they did against the, the bigger half of their schedule. Right. But I think that what the team has done this year is to some degree gone through the motions. But when you look at what they've done, I still think for the most part, They've checked the boxes they've needed to. I mean, when you play UT Martin and Ball State, I just don't know what you discern from that. So you really, and even UAB. So you're really looking at South Carolina. And with South Carolina, what did we know about them? What do we still know about them? Offensive line was struggling in pass pro. We saw that from the very beginning with North Carolina. But we know that when Spencer Rattler had a second, even a second, he was very adept. And And he's been playing well. And, again, what Georgia did in that game, yes, they gave up 14 points in the first half to get behind, uh, and and we're down 14-3 at half. But, again, let's observe the fact that when it came time to dance, when it came time to to win the game, 21-0 in the second half. So still shut a team out. And still, for the totality of the game, you give up 14 points a game, you're going to end up top five of the country, if not number one in the country. So defensively, to me, yes, people are staring at the UAB game. I think that was them being a little bored after checking the boxes they needed to against the first two weaker teams and again in the second half against South Carolina. What is the best way, in your opinion? Let's not even look at what maybe Auburn's strengths and weaknesses are. What would be the best way, in your opinion, to tack a defense like Georgia? That's a great question. 
That's uh, why I asked it. That is a good question, sir. Um, I, I think, the, you know, the, the best way to uh, to attack this Georgia defense is to keep them guessing. And, and I know that that's yeah. difficult with a Kirby Smart uh, a Kirby Smart defense because they're they're just so it, prepared. It, they're so prepared. They they do their homework. You know, you see every single year. Uh, you see Georgia defensive players going in the first round of the NFL draft. They're they're football smart, um, and that's why I think it's important. You know, Hugh Freeze uh, was talking about getting RPOs in the game because it keeps the defense on their toes. They don't know where the ball is going to go at any given time. Um, you know, it, it, maybe you know the the quarterback keeps it. Maybe you give it to your running back. Maybe you pull it and throw it. Um, and it's I, I think that's really important, and I think that's how you because you you've seen it, and I, I know that. You know, Kirby Smart and Nick Saban are not the same coach, but, you know, the option game is is one of those that, that kind of has uh, flustered Alabama's defenses um, for for several years, for many years. And Kirby Smart is from that Nick Saban coaching tree. Uh, and, and I'm, again, not saying Kirby Smart and Nick Saban are the same coach, not saying, you know, but their, their defensive styles are very similar. Um, they're very, you know, intensity is very similar. Uh, so I, I think that one of the best ways is to what Hugh Free said is to get more of those RPOs worked into the 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 offense because it just it keeps the defense on your toes because this the Georgia defense they're you know if, if you start go hitting the run hard they're gonna they're gonna shut down the run and if you start hitting the you know if you're able to hit the pass hard they're gonna start shutting down the pass they've got great cornerbacks uh, so if you could keep them guessing uh, and on their toes a little bit and. Uh, I think that that is really the best way to attack this uh, this Georgia defense. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. You got to keep the defense guessing as much as possible because, you know, that's something that we worry about, just the, the predictability of the offense. And especially if you don't have the ability to pass the ball um, like Auburn has struggled to do in these games, then you're going to have to lean on your run game. And that's just not going to work out in your favor, especially against a tough, uh, a, a tough defense like, like Georgia's. So, uh yeah just keep them guessing as much as possible um the the you know potentially keeping you know uh getting the quarterback and giving him the options and things like that and and just got to keep the defense on your toes that's that's your best bet to beat them is surprise them because if not like they're you kirby smart like you said brooks uh, extremely disciplined defense, uh, extremely smart football players. And, and, I mean, these are all highly recruited guys. These are guys that every school wanted that UGA ended up getting. So uh, a lot of talent on that side of the ball, and, and you're just going to have to really get deep in your bag and just just do what you can if you're Hugh Freeze. So I think when I'm looking at some of the numbers from Georgia, one thing that might stand out as positive in – trying to accomplish different things for Auburn this week is the fact that and this has been this is not unique to this defense Georgia has not necessarily excelled in this particular category that's just the style of defense they play they are last in the league in sacks right now only have five sacks in four games obviously they're not playing a bunch of teams that you expect to have great offensive lines including South Carolina so it's reasonable to say that Georgia is not going to be an incredibly productive um, defensive front in terms of that that one category. In fact, there was also viral video that went out uh, earlier in the week or earlier in the year at least about someone asked Kirby Smart, "How do you recruit against guys that say, well, you don't get your stats if you go to Georgia?" And then you know he 
obviously had a clever response because there's obviously a logical answer to that. But that is kind of the trend with them is they don't actually generate a lot of sacks compared to what you think it would for such a good defense. That means their defense is very disciplined. So what usually defeats disciplined defense is the chaotic moments and the big plays. Uh, it's a formula that is not unlike what you ne- you needed to do against Alabama for a long period of time, and, and maybe to some degree still need to do against Alabama. And it makes sense because well, Kirby Smart came from Alabama, uh, where he coached for several years under Saban. And what always disrupted that a little bit was quarterbacks that can make plays with both leg and and, and arm, and a good mix of go over the top, then go down low, go over the top, go down low, and that's speaking to the unpredictability about it, the the sack part is reassuring because, in theory, and now Peyton Thorne's still got to check these boxes against a Power 5 team, but in theory, there will be an opportunity to throw the football. It, you, in theory, will not be on your butt five, six, seven times in this game, even if you are a little bit slow or a little bit skittish or either side of the equation. There would be an opportunity to throw a little bit. But... As we've seen out of the A&M and Cal sample sizes, the ability to hit those receivers when they're open has not been very high in those games. There were still those opportunities against A&M, not many, but a few that were clearly missed. Same against Cal. The interception's a high throw, and and a couple guys missed. And the couple plays that were made, one was a hell of a play by Fairweather. One of them was a one-on-one little fade, which is is not an entirely difficult pass to throw. And, and, And so... It's still, it's not going to prove that there will be success, but it does at least give you the window of opportunity to make yourself less predictable and to give yourself and your quarterback one last chance to make some plays in the passing game. But the downside to that is when you read all the statistics about Georgia's defense is while they are last in the league in sacks, they are first in the league in interceptions. And so... If you're inaccurate or you read it wrong, DBs are it good. will pay. Yeah. You will definitely pay on that end of things. And so uh, that is the conundrum is you have a guy that you don't necessarily trust with much of anything in your passing game. And even if you get the initial part right of blocking and actually identifying the correct place to throw the ball – you still got to be accurate with it. And Absolutely. I know that's all Captain Obvious stuff, but again, <laughs> when you're looking at Georgia's defense, there is a window to get a pass off. The problem is when you get a pass off, it's been intercepted more than any other team in the SEC. So when I look at it, I think from a play-calling perspective, putting this all together, you do have the opportunity to throw, and you will need to. You will not run 55 times for 300 no. yards on Georgia's defense. No will shot. not happen. Uh, and so... How do you take the top off the defense? Can you find Jay Fair on that wheel route this week? Can you find Shane Hooks to make a 50-50 play that he did not make last week? Can you find Fairweather? George's got a hell of a tight end, but you've got a pretty athletic tight end yourself. Can you take advantage of that? Because, again, I, I think Auburn will Auburn will be – I kind of box them into a, a, a certain floor and ceiling running the ball in this game. I think Auburn will have some success to some degree. However, it will not be ravishing success. Like I, I would, I would still be surprised if the running backs totaled like twenty-five carries for fifty yards. I do not think it would be that. However, if in twenty-five carries, I don't think that'll be at one hundred and seventy-five yards or one hundred and sixty-five yards, anything like that. It'll probably be a pretty modest, like four yards a carry. I think they can accomplish that, but. 
four yards of carry in this age of football, even though it sounds great, like you do it three times, you get 12 yards first down in the chains. It doesn't always work that way. And so it's not really the way that you can beat and score and drive on these teams. You will have to do it both ways. That's why it's a tough argument, and I talked myself out of it by the time I got on the show on Wednesday, out of the Ashford run 50 times deal. Yeah, it's deal just not going to work. Because it's there's just no ability. And it's not even simple because I, I thought, well, you know, I, and, and I know this is going to sound silly at first, but I, I'll, I'll get there. Well, you know, with with Marshall in 13, like the passing wasn't great, but he could hit the deep ball, and the concept was that you got people so wide open you couldn't miss them and this, that, and the other thing. I don't think the way they've called plays and schematically, I don't think they can get people so wide open you can't miss them. And even then, Ashford is still not as good of a passer as Marshall was, even though Marshall was not a lead at it. He was at least respectable by the time he left Auburn. And so I just don't think that Ashford can get to that level and therefore a you've not been scheming it well enough to get people that wide open that consistently and b ashford's even a lower rate of hitting those people and so i just i i i guess what i'm saying is and and guys you feel free to offer a um a, a an argument against or for if it goes awry for thorn and you do have to go to a second option I think unlike last week, I think the second option this week is Gurner, not Ashford. What do you think about that? Yeah, I agree. Um, only because of just how I, I know you know Holden's you know pretty pretty green, but with Ashford, he, he's it's, we've seen enough of a sample size to know that he's just not an accurate enough passer to make the throws. Um, with with Holden, at least you can give him a chance. If the offensive line is able to hold up, um, then you know maybe he'll be able to make a couple good throws and and kind of uh, keep Auburn in the game or or bring Auburn back into the game. However that plays out, or just to get him reps because maybe he'll be starting next, uh, after the bye. You know, they're, they're, you'll never know. Uh, but. Yeah, I I just I think it would have to be him, Robbie. Especially if you put Robbie in the running, I mean, you're just not going to do it. You're not going to run like you're talking, Ryan. You know, for like 300 yards against the Georgia defense, it's just not going to happen. And that's really all Robbie is able to do. And and he does it very very well. But this is a team that's so talented, and if the runs, you know, if the runs aren't creative, and if you're just running like. QB sweeps and and things like that. It, it, it's just not going to work. I'm I, I'm sorry. Uh, it's just not something that I see being successful. So you got to give Holden the try, and because he's going to at least be in. You would hope that he's a relatively accurate passer if he has a clean pocket uh, that can at least get your wide receivers involved. Brooks, you have another thought? Or? I, I was I was just going to agree because uh, you know you you have enough film uh, that if you know you bring Robbie in against this Georgia defense. They're gonna know what's gonna happen. They they They're know just gonna load that box. They they know what's gonna happen. Kirby Smart is is, is a good you know, a coach that knows what's gonna happen. Um, and so if you throw the wild card in there with Gurner, uh, it's you know it, you, you don't really know, you know they, they they you have a little bit of film, but it's you know you you don't know 
everything you don't have the book on him yet and and i think that that adds an element of uh, what we talked about earlier of beating a george defense is keeping them on them to their toes if you put out a quarterback they don't have the book on and they 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 obviously you, you look at high school film you do your research a good coach is gonna a uh, good coaching staff is gonna put all that together but it's still it it's not complete and you don't have the complete book on them uh it, it throws a, a, a an element of of guessing in there if you're if you're kirby smart in georgia Got six or seven minutes left here in the first hour of the show, so let's go back to the orthopedic clinic phone line. Next up, James from Montgomery. James is with us. James, how are you this afternoon? I'm good in War Eagle. War Eagle. Yeah, I know that y'all was talking about Auburn and Georgia. Um, I think this is going to be a really good opportunity and a good fit for Garner to actually start because I know um, I, I would like to see Garner play in tomorrow's game. And uh, and actually seeing what he's going to do, you know, for Auburn as well. Because, I mean, with Peyton Thornton and Robbie Ashford, I mean, they from last week when we played against Stanford, I, I don't see a great opportunity with Peyton Thornton. And I, I, if it was me, if I was the head coach for Auburn, I would start Garner. I would start him right away. I think that he does have the opportunity to play tomorrow. They will start Peyton Thorne, but uh, there there is an opportunity for Holden Gurner to to end up playing at some point. We honestly, I, I'm certainly still not rooting for it to be clear because that would mean Thorne would have struggled again and and Auburn would be in a bad situation. But I do think that that ultimately that might end up happening. Yeah, because it, if it if it's going to happen sometime between now and. Uh, the kickoff of the game tomorrow. I, I, I just feel like, you know, I, I, if it was me, if I was the coach of Auburn, I would just sub, I would just sub out, uh, Peyton and I would just put in, uh, Gurner just to see how he's going to do because I, it, I mean, if he's on our roster, I mean, Hugh Free should have the opportunity or to have the opportunity to start a new player you know put some fresh legs in there as well yeah he certainly as the head coach would have the uh the ability to do that but i think that could be near but for uh so far i will not be doing that what else is on your mind today well i'm actually going to be looking at um you know some games for tonight and uh seeing some of these uh friday night games i this is my first time ever seeing a college uh, college football games being played on Friday night. I mean, why can they play these games uh, tomorrow or next week? You know, why 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 would college football games be played on a Friday night? They, these are college kids. These are not like professional NFL stars. These are college kids that should play on the weekends and not on a Friday night as well. Well, James, they've actually uh, for a long, long time have been having some some weekday games they've even had sunbelt games and mat games on tuesdays and wednesdays they've they've had some other uh, power five conference games on thursdays and fridays like the acc and the pac 12 tonight uh and again that's that's again that that's been going on for a while so they they do that uh for opportunities to showcase different conferences and different teams and that sort of thing and uh, that that's been going on for a while, James. And uh, I was I read the stat uh, yesterday. Fifty four of the next fifty five days are going to have some form of football on. So uh, I think it's just next Tuesday we won't have any football, and then every day after that for the next fifty uh, some odd days there's going to be football in either NFL or college every single night. 
Yeah, because you know, with Thursday night football, um, that that should you know be you know edged in stone because you know with ESPN doing the Thursday night football uh, games, they they've been doing that for years as well. Um, I've seen uh, like Thursday night football on on NBC. That's been like you know for years since since NBC actually covered the NFL football games as well but you know when I when I actually saw this on Friday this was like my high school thing you know I, I was like is is this right why would they put um you know why would they put college football games on a Friday night I mean this this looks like it should be a good game from uh good games that I'm actually going to be watching but when these teams are done with with the Friday nights, what about next week? What about week six? You know, when these when these teams are actually playing tonight, how would they perform next weekend? How how would BYU perform? How would Louisville perform after Friday night? Will they perform like they did, like they're going to do tonight for week six and week seven in college football? Who knows? I mean, they will get an extra day of rest, but uh... – yeah, no, again, that's something that, that's been going on. So I, I think that uh, not too many people have, have worried about that, but certainly some teams get more or less rest depending on what uh, what night of the week they play on. What else is on your mind today? Well, with uh, college football, that's going to be on uh, Saturday. I'm actually looking at two great, uh, um, you know, on, uh, non-conference games. I'm looking at Alabama State and Tuskegee. So, um, you know, they're playing. Um, Tuskegee University is playing a, a really good team. They're they're going up to, um, they're playing against Alabama A and M. So that's going to be their uh, fourth loss of this season. So they're not doing so good. And Alabama State is playing at home. They're playing against. Um, they're playing against a team that they've played before. I think it's uh, Alcorn State. So that's the in-state rival between Alabama State and. In- uh, Alcon State, so their their um, history uh, dates back to a long time between these two rivals, and it's right here in Montgomery. So it's uh, it's going to be a really good uh, feel for um, Alabama State to actually get a, a good feel and a good win at home in um, Montgomery as well. Well, James, you are right that uh, Tuskegee's going up and playing Alabama A and M uh, on Saturday, but they're four and zero on the year. They've they've won all their games and uh, they've looked pretty good uh, to start their season. Yeah, they they actually won four games of their regular of the regular season, but um, their this will be their first loss tomorrow as well because um, I had um, you know I've had a lot of Tuskegee University fans actually tell me. That uh, Willie Slater, he's not doing such, he's not doing a really good job as well because I did see uh, last couple of weeks when they did play the uh, the Red Tail Classic. I was there and it, in Montgomery. It was just I, I I knew that they were a really good school and you know they they really destroyed you know the school that I they they really. Uh, throughout a lot of different uh, options to my to my school from Fort Valley State, and we're still mad about that one as well. So that was a very opportunity to see Fort Valley State lose that game to Tuskegee as well. And 
some of my friends from Fort Valley are very upset with that one. So they're going to reschedule that one uh, sometime real soon for that game to be played again next year when when Tuskegee actually plays them again real soon. All right. Well, that is uh, that's some fascinating stuff right there. Well, James, we're already down about to the end of our break. Got about one more minute left. What uh, what final thoughts do you have today? Um, well, the only final thoughts I actually have today is I would like to see my Dallas Wings actually take this one uh, tonight. And um, I'm just going to keep my fingers crossed and see if we're going to win this one because this one is a sold-out game. And we're playing this one at home. So I'm just going to see how my Dallas Wings are going to destroy um, the Las Vegas Aces as well. Yeah, that's going to be a, a big game, big opportunity for Dallas. All right, sounds good, and I'll talk to y'all guys next week. War Eagle. War Eagle. Have a great weekend, James. That is James from Montgomery joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line, and we are out of time for the first hour of the program. Coming up in hour number two, much more on Auburn and Georgia, and we'll also start to get into some of the other college football games in the country this weekend, including some big SEC matchups and some top 25 matchups from around the country. You're listening to the Friday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM, WTGZ, Tuskegee, Auburn, and AM620, WTRP, LaGrange. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Second hour of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, Ryan LaVoy, Cam Barry, Brooks Childress with you here on this beautiful Friday afternoon. A lot of beautiful weather on the plains here the last several days, and that will continue getting a little bit warmer, though. It'll be almost 90 tomorrow inside of Jordan-Hare Stadium, so in the heat will arise for a mid-afternoon contest. Continuing to talk Auburn-Georgia here to open hour number two. We'll get to some other games here in a few moments, but we talked a lot of offense in the first segment. Let's talk about when Georgia 
is on offense with Carson Beck, with their running backs, with Auburn's defense. Auburn's defense, if I told you one side of the ball coming into the year was going to be above average to pretty good and one was going to be below average to really bad, you would have said, oh, no, the defense is giving up millions of rush yards. It's not good, but the offense is keeping them afloat. It's actually vice versa. The Auburn defense keeping Auburn around in these games helped them win the Cal game, helped them stay alive into the fourth quarter in College Station. So Auburn defense keys to success against the Georgia Bulldogs. I like what Ron Roberts is doing with this defense, man. I I really do. Uh, If you can... If you can just keep, I mean, Carson Beck, this is his first full season as a as a starter, so he's still going to have some things to iron out. Uh, he seems to be a pretty accurate passer, pretty relatively poised in the pocket, but he hasn't had a real uh, a real challenge yet. So this will be the first true, I think, defensive challenge for him. Uh, I don't even, you know, I don't even think South Carolina, even though they did play relatively well. Um, in the first half, South Carolina, you know, obviously Georgia just kind of tightened screws, and and that's how that game ended up going uh, down the stretch. Twenty-one straight points. You already said about about that, um, Ryan. Uh, but it seems like Georgia's offense starts really slow. So if you're the defense, you got to really key in and and get uh, get in Carson Beck's face, make him as nervous as possible, uh, keep the defense creative, and and. You know, maybe force a turnover and get give yourself some positive uh, field position. Uh, help help the offense out as much as possible if you're the defense. So, um, I think the DBs will will play perfectly fine. I know they're a little bit beat up, and and uh, I, I don't know who all is 100% healthy going to be back and in and in and playing yet. But um, I think they'll hold up relatively well. I think the secondary will hold up fine against these uh, these Georgia receivers. And it seems like we've got we've found some shining lights in our linebacker room. So uh, they can key in on the run a little bit. The the running backs for Georgia are pretty beat up. Uh, it seems like when one guy's out, another guy go, or one guy's in, another guy uh, gets hurt in the game. So they have a constant rotation in their running back room. Nobody really who has absolutely taken off. So. Uh, we'll we'll just have to see how that plays out and who's going to end up really getting the bulk of the carries. It'll probably be uh, Dewan Edwards uh, from what it looks like he's their leading rusher. But again, they have struggled with keeping health in the running back room. So you, uh, if you're the linebackers, you just got to really key in on that. So uh, the defense just keep Carson Beck guessing, keep uh, keep everybody confused as. as as confused as possible, especially the quarterback, and uh, you might be able to have some success on the day. You know, I, I think that you know you you look at this Auburn defense uh, this year. I said going into the Samford game that I wanted them to play motivated when there wasn't uh, that outside noise from the other team. Like you know, you you saw the Cal game. Uh, well, after the UMass game, there was there were some questions. People were were talking about the defense, and uh, and then you we went to the Cal game and there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of uh, trash talking coming from the Cal side and we we talked you know we, we got a talk from uh, uh, Eugene Asante after that game and he said that they used that really did use that that trash talk as motivation and so going into that Sanford game I said can they do what they did in the Cal game without the outside motivation they did and then in last week I, I think it was I said can you continue that uh, against an, an SEC opponent and for the most part they did 
did. Obviously, you're on the field a lot. You're going to get tired out. And so I, I've I've really liked what they've done defensively these last few weeks. Um, can you continue to do that? There's you know Georgia doesn't put outside noise out there. They you know really you know you go back to SEC media days. They compliment Auburn. Uh, right. They you've seen the clip all week uh, about you know talking about the Auburn environment there is one of the best in the playing road environments for Georgia in the SEC. And so it's um, you know it's. It's going to be it, it. That's what I want to see: is can they continue to play that uh, that intense football? Can they continue to pl- keep this, this Auburn team in the game? And I think that you know, going through the week, when you, if you're the defense for Auburn, you looked, you you've watched film on Georgia's offense. You know how slow a start they have, and you know the struggles that you your own team has had on offense. And so I think that you're you know sitting there all week watching film and knowing, hey, if we get some big stops early and we give our offense at least a chance to score, they we could be in this game quite a long ways uh, and set ourselves up for a for a um, for a for maybe a big upset here in in the game on Saturday. And so you, you keep playing aggressive, uh, you, you keep uh, Georgia's offense shut down a little bit, and it it's it it shouldn't be overly tough i mean you, you've looked at it you know i mean the you've had teams like uh you know ball state uh, south carolina uab you've had those you know the teams that you you would think that going into this year georgia would have you know handle pretty well have kept stayed in those ball games for a while and so uh, uh, you you look at it I, I think that that's the main motivation for this weekend is for this uh, auburn offense is saying hey we get a few stops early. We keep them from getting going like the uh, their last opponents have. We can, you know, set ourselves up to be in this ball game deep into the second half and have a chance to win it. Yeah, I think with the Georgia running backs, let's start there because, again, coming into the year, we're now learning a lot about these teams. These teams are not finished products, obviously, but we've got a, a very good place uh, and understanding of where a lot of them are at right now. Georgia's running backs has kind of had to be. I think the goal was anyway, but it's had to been by committee. They've had a multitude of injuries. The latest is that Edwards has obviously been there more of their bell cow here the last few few weeks. He's going to play. He's going to be good. Kendall Milton was going to be a guy that would get get as many carries as anyone in the backfield. Right. He's been out with an MCL injury. He is still questionable for tomorrow, from what I've read. He has practiced some this week for Georgia, uh, but unsure on his status. And then Roderick Robertson was a freshman who looks like a little bowling ball. He's like 240 pounds, a big dude. Uh, He is probably not going to play, and he's not played the last week or two after after playing his first first couple games of the year. And so they're pretty comfortable with Edwards. Uh, He's been a 100-yard rusher in that South Carolina game, for example. Uh, but maybe that their second and third best options are maybe not available. Uh, so that's something to keep an eye on. Absolutely. Because um, at some point, I mean, Georgia's offensive line is really good. They're going to create opportunities. But Georgia has so far, because of that, not really struck me as a dominant run team. They are a good run team. It's something that, that I would still put in the positive category, the pro category for them. However, it is not something that's dominating things right now. It has been necessary for Carson Beck to play at least okay so far, and he has, and he recovered in that second half against South Carolina. But still, that's a great opportunity for Auburn's defense to see how they stack up against Georgia's offensive line because we did see Texas A&M do a pretty good job in pass pro against Auburn. That's something we've not really talked much about this past week. But Auburn, for as many 
pass protection blunders A&M had had in the first three weeks of the year. Auburn really didn't get home a lot. Uh, they, they really did not generate much up front. And, and some of that could be uh, because of having to play a, a little bit more conservative because of some of your defensive backfield injuries, not putting people on islands and that sort of thing. But but that is something that I'll be interested to see. Can the likes of Jalen McLeod, uh, Eugene Asante, Donovan Coppins healthy enough, can they create negative plays uh, because that has was maybe something that maybe was a little underwhelming against AM. They certainly did a pretty good job uh, in in most situations and most drives. They they stopped the run pretty effectively. Uh, they they did make Wegman have to go somewhere else with the ball when he was in there, ultimately throwing some stuff away. So they did a good job in various ways. They just didn't get home necessarily a lot or as much as you thought they could. And so that's something against Georgia's offense line, which should be every bit as good as A&M's. Uh, what will that look like for Auburn when Georgia's play-action passing? Can Auburn do anything to disrupt that in the defensive backfield? Can they create any TFLs with that big offensive line blocking? Because, again, these running backs so far have not been taking a bunch of the house or making these big plays. It's not really been about that for them. They're content to get the five to six yards. So can Auburn turn five yards into two yards? Can they turn three yards into no yards? That's the kind of thing to look out for there. Uh, but Carson Beck is obviously someone, because he's a quarterback, because he's replacing someone that won two national titles and a, a very uh, unbelievable story in Stetson Bennett was, he's been talked a lot about. And this is going to be the first road game for him. And this is an opportunity for uh, Auburn's crowd, which is obviously phenomenal in games like this, yes. to, to have a real impact on the game. If this was in Athens, it would be very hard for me to give any chance whatsoever. Uh, just because Auburn has had right. zero no luck, success. no matter how None. good or bad. Yeah. Uh, weird things, poor things have happened in that stadium for a long time. And it's not that Auburn's had a uh, an array of success at home against Georgia, but at least the games have been in- incredibly close. Been even a better fight, uh, definitely. Right, uh, uh, unless it was, uh, I guess, the 21 uh, Har- Harson right. year. Uh, aside from that, even in the losses like in 19, they were still very close ultimately. So I, I think that that crowd has an opportunity over 88,000 people to to try to get in Beck's head and that's going to be the pathway here to trying to cook up some sort of upset or some sort of of scare at least into Georgia again it's going to be incredibly difficult challenge but again having to handle a road crowd like Auburn's is not to be trifled with and so if you can create and that's why I'm saying can you create the third and seven instead of the third and two if you can create the third and I need to do something as a quarterback you create those opportunities you might be able to find a a path to success with a three and out or with again a quarterback pressure pressuring me into a mistake and, and Auburn has been able to take advantage of that. And, again, that's going to be what really allows the offense to have an opportunity is there's going to be a lot asked and required out of the defense in this game because it, it just seems too far-fetched for the offense yeah. all of a sudden to produce 400-plus yards of offense and produce 30 points on its own and do all these things against Georgia of all teams. Not that Auburn is not going to try to progress throughout the year to be able to do that as they go down the stretch against teams like Mississippi State and Arkansas and that sort of thing. But asking it to all of a sudden be a complete 180 this week is tough. The defense will have to aid them in that. And how you're trying to aid them in that is big mistakes from Carson Beck. Not Again, not the, all right, live to fight another down mistake, the you just lost 
eight yeah. yards on a sack, or you just went three and out your own 15-yard line, and now Auburn's going to get the ball around midfield. That's the kind of stuff that Auburn's going to have to take advantage of defensively. And again, I, I understand the nature of it is unfair. You're basically going to ask the defense to not only prevent Georgia from scoring, but to set up the, the offense, offense for to score. Success, yeah. uh, so I, I certainly understand that there's a degree uh, and lack of fairness in that. But the reality is when you're trying to overcome someone that is better than you like Georgia is and uh, overcome a offensive unit that has not been good against a Cal team that ended up giving up 40-something and a half or 30-something yeah. and a half to Washington. Pull and I up. and look, I get it. That's kind of an extreme Penix, because yeah. Penix is awesome. He's going to be a Heisman candidate. Absolutely. But still, still yeah. It, the, it, it's there to be had against them, and you had 14 points the entire game. You had all the turnovers. So, again, that's where it's going to have to be a low-scoring game, uh, and, and that's what's Auburn keeping Georgia out of the end zone, and B – it's going to have to be Auburn set up its own offense for success with its defense, with its special teams. I'm going to bring this up at the Sports Call 5 at 5 when we do that coming up. But another X factor in this game is always special teams. Like The lower a, a scoring game it is, usually the more special teams matter because they could account for the deciding touchdown, yep. the deciding field goal, uh, field position, which is important, uh, and all that sort of thing. And that's the path for Auburn in this game. They're not winning this game 38-35. That's not happening. They're going to have to win a game in the low 20s. It's going to have to and, be low and, scoring. And again, yeah. it's, it, I, what's the over-under? Do you know off the top of your head? Uh, it's, I have it right here, 45. 45, so, and with a 14 margin. So what, what's the projection there? Was that 30-16? to 16, Yeah, something like that. 29-15, 29-14, something there. Um you know that's going to have to parlay into like 21 and 21 to 17 or 24 to 17 24 20 because you start getting the mid upper 20s and i'm just not seeing yeah. unless georgia has a unbelievable fall apart game of which they've not had in years i'm not seeing how auburn's scoring a, a, a ton of points there so defensively those are are some of the keys is unfortunately yeah you're going to have to uh, get George off the field pretty quickly. You're going to have to not allow them in the end zone, but you're also going to have – like when there's an opportunity, like say Auburn has a great I, – I know it's so weird to talk about this, but if Auburn has a great punt right. and gets Georgia down to their own 10-yard line, you might say – I'll give you this drive. Georgia gets two first downs and punts. They get out to the, to the 35, maybe the 40-yard line, they punt. On the surface, you didn't give up points. Maybe it's a seven or eight play drive. You're not gassed. On the surface, it seems fine. In this type of game, that's not going to be good enough. No. And again, I know that's an incredibly high bar to ask. But if you get an opportunity to pin them at their own 10 or 15-yard line to punt, it's crucial. where you can have a 50-yard field instead of a 75-yard field, that's the time of difference Wonders. we're looking for. Yes, um, absolutely. I mean, that can be a difference in a game. And so any other thoughts on is there a magical point total that if Georgia gets to, you don't see it? Or – how many points is Auburn's offense capable of if they are having to start constantly at their own 20, 25, assuming normal field position? Like what what are there any magic barometers or numbers in your head there in those those areas? So I was thinking about how just any way that that Auburn can win this game, and I agree with you, Ryan. It's gotta be a low scoring game. I think if 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 Georgia gets to twenty 28 points then it's it's out of reach for Auburn as of right now just the offense just can't do it so uh if you can hold Georgia to you know a, a three touchdown game you know I I could see it a 24-21 type game uh 
you know, a 17, 21, something along the lines of that, like you said, then, then Auburn has a chance, you know, that that's where Auburn has a chance. But if not, if, if Georgia just starts to wear Auburn's defense down, if the offense can't stay on the field, uh, then the the defense is going to give way eventually, just like it did against Texas A and M, and the floodgates will open, and it'll just they'll they'll start running up the points, and and that's where uh, that's what you don't want to see. Any magical numbers for you, Brooks, in terms of points that they can't allow, or field position, or I can't see them getting more than blank seventy yard drives. Just just any any sort of stuff going on going on in the mind there. Honestly, you look at how this the offense is starting. If the if the Auburn defense can get some good stops early, um, I, I think that the the magic number is probably somewhere in the mid twenties if the defense plays well that that Auburn has to get to scoring wise because. Uh, Georgia's offense, uh, you know, we, we've talked about it being a slow starter, but they they've scored, you know, they've they've gotten to score some points. So if you could keep the the Georgia team around that mid twenties mark, uh, and with with your defense and your you know your your Auburn team can score around that, you've got a good chance to win a, win the football game. We're going to go to our first timeout here of the four o'clock hour. Again, we'll have more Auburn Georgia coming up throughout the show, including the five o'clock hour when we have the sports call five at five presented by Southeastern Land Group. But when we come back. We're going to hit on some other games across the country, including in the top 25 and in the Southeastern Conference. You're listening to the Friday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. You're listening to the multi-time Abbey Award-winning Sports Call. Now, back to the multi-time Abbey Award-winning Sports Call. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, and Cam Berry with you here on the Friday edition of the program. Brooks, I made a very poor joke yesterday. Uh-huh. I feel like I should fill you in because I don't think that you were either in the in the studio at the moment or, or that sort of thing, but I said it felt a lot like a Tuesday for me. Maybe you were in here, and now today feels a lot like a Wednesday for me. <laughs> It's actually a well, Friday. That's okay. The, the I believe the Tuesday show, I, I said I welcomed everybody back to the Thursday edition of Sports Call. So <laughs> I did hear that. So who knows what day of the week it is. I, well, we do know. It is Friday. We're getting set for another game day it's Friday, on baby. Saturday. Let's talk some SEC football. Let's branch out and look at some of the other games across the league. Let's start with the really the biggest one of the weekend nationwide, 5 o'clock ESPN Number 13, LSU, at number 20, Ole Miss. Both these teams with enough of a sample size to be happy about something that has occurred in their season, but also with a loss on the record and something to be unhappy about, 
so far this year as LSU loses that opener to Florida State with the poor second half and Ole Miss loses in Tuscaloosa 24-10 to last week. Again, a Lane Kiffin team with only 10 points is, is something that you don't expect very often. So when you're looking at LSU and Ole Miss, guys, what intrigues you about this? What's your gut on this game? I'm not sure. I, I, I still think, even though it is in Oxford, uh, I, I think LSU has kind of found, even though they, they had the loss against Florida State, I think they've kind of found a bit of a rhythm now. Uh, it seems like Jaden Daniels is, is pretty comfortable now, and, and I guess you know you kind of get that first loss out of the way, uh, and, and now moving forward you're good. And, and you're right, you know, 10 points for a Lane Kiffin offense is, is highly surprising. And uh, I just don't, you know, I just – have not been very impressed with Ole Miss this season. Um, they haven't been able to run the ball, uh, which has been Lane, you know, Lane's staple, and uh, they they just cannot really get their offense going very well. And so I think, with that being said, LSU has kind of everything. Even though they had the loss, they kind of have everything going a bit more comfortably. So I do think that LSU is going to end up taking this game. Uh, not sure by how much. I can't really you know give an estimation to that, but I do see LSU winning in Oxford. Yeah, you know it, this game confuses me a little bit because you LSU has the pieces there to be Absolutely. a really good football program, and they just went and got hit by a truck in week one. And then you they you said okay they're starting to get things back going that Mississippi State game a couple weeks ago you're like all right that's fine they're you know they're they're going to be fine here in SEC play well then last week against an Arkansas team that has had its offensive struggles uh, not you know, be, because of the switch ma- uh, of schemes up there in Fayetteville that that don't really fit with KJ Jefferson's uh, strong yeah, suits. Absolutely not. Um, they got taken to the wire, and it was uh, the that that LSU team. They you know they they came out of there with the win. They're two and zero in the SEC, but that it you know that Arkansas team that you, you thought after what they did to Mississippi State, you said well they should do the same thing to Arkansas. They didn't, and so. I, I don't know what it would. I don't know if it's just inconsistency with the with with offense. I don't know if the the defense is letting what they're what what's going on in Baton Rouge. And on the other side of it, you know, you we were talking uh, preseason about Ole Miss, and we said and we brought it up last week going into that Alabama game uh, about their just lack of running game. And it's 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 weird because I think we all said that um, Judkins. Uh, was going to be one of the top backs in the SEC this year, and he still very well could be. As you you know, we we still have over half the season to go, but it's it's just not been impressive. They didn't look, uh, you know, you, you looked at how they scored uh, so far this season, and it was like, all right, you're putting up points, they're putting up points, and then they didn't last week against no. Alabama. Uh, Alabama's defense shut them down. On you know, you look at on paper on offensively for LSU, you've got Daniels, you've got Diggs, you've got Neighbors, the big three. When you think about uh, quarterback, running back, and and wide receiver, uh, and you you think they should be still be able to put up a lot of points. I think this week they will be able to get kind of back on track a little bit offensively. Uh, but my question is going to be: Does Ole Miss's offense get back on track after last week, or does it look more like what they uh, showed at Alabama? Uh, LSU's favored by two and a half in this one. Um, I don't know, man. It, it it feels like LSU. This feels like uh, a game 
like I said last week, you know, Alabama, I think, was favored against Ole Miss, uh, but it was it was uh, not a wide margin. And I said, it feels like Alabama is going to control this game from the offset. And it, it Mostly they did. Uh, this kind of feels the same way. It feels like uh, it, it's a very, you know, it's a, a thin margin right here for, for the, the, fa- uh, the line. I think LSU, it's going to feel like LSU is going to control this game. The score may not, you know, be this, this massive, you know, what they did to Mississippi State, but it's, it, I think it's going to feel like LSU is going to control this football game. So that LSU-Arkansas game was very surprising uh, for sure in Baton Rouge, and it, it kind of went a little under the radar because at that time – uh, you had a couple other top twenty-five games on, including the Ohio State Notre yeah, Dame I was gonna game. Say, yeah, was... uh, but let me tell you a couple oddities from this game for those that were not aware. Second half, no one punted. A punt <laughs> did not happen. That's crazy. And there was only one turnover, and it was at the very end on the very last play of the game, which didn't really matter much to you anyway. As Jefferson in desperation threw a pick, very last play of the game. That was it. There was there was no punts. From LSU's point of view, after starting the game with punt, interception, punt, the rest of the game, field goal, touchdown, 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 field goal. So LSU's offense still rolling along. What I do notice about that game is maybe one or two less possessions than a typical college game. Again, referencing the clock, circling around on that. But what I do give credit for Arkansas to is that they did. If you were watching that game, because I, again, I, I... I had the setup where I did watch really all that game. Lucky guy. <laughs> Arkansas did not look like the same team they went with the first few weeks. KJ Jefferson was not coming under center. He was looking in the spread much more like what they did with Bryles the yeah. year before. So I give Arkansas credit. They need to play that way. Playing LSU their was, strength. That was a different Arkansas team than what we saw the first few weeks of the year, and that's what makes it really hard for me to determine on the Arkansas A&M game, which we'll get to in a moment. But to Arkansas's credit, they they unleashed themselves a little bit. They spread it back out and unlocked Jefferson a little bit more, and it looked much more like it had the first couple of years Pittman was there with, with Kendall Bryles. And so that was different for LSU. They obviously didn't handle it well, but I do give Arkansas credit for going back to that. And you actually saw, by the way, you saw Mississippi State kind of do that against South Carolina last week and gave them a chance to win. Neither team won, but they put up 30 points because they did go back more towards the style that made those quarterbacks and those players successful in the first place. But back to LSU and Ole Miss, my thing with Ole Miss continues to be, and it's in every big game they play, and I'm not going to shut up about it until they prove me wrong, situationally they don't do a good job they don't i mean keep talking about Uh, it man because you're right i mean they have again for kiffin and and again i respect kiffin immensely i I think that he is a very bright offensive mind i appreciate that he's a little bit different without being uh some sort of cringeworthy or or anything like that like he's a, a unique but not in a bad way but they continue to when the game matters the most uh, against good teams, not against Tulane, with all due respect, although because Tulane's going to handle UAB this weekend, I'm going to be sad. <laughs> uh, but with all due respect to truly big games in the hierarchy of college football, Ole Miss does not get it done in key situations. They've continually over the years been a little underwhelming in the red zone. 
Ole Miss against Alabama. So they actually got the fourth down part kind of right against Bama. They were three out of four converting. You know what they were on third down? They were three Bad. out yeah, of three 14. Out, I, was say, I saw it was like three out of like, I was going to say 10 right. or something like yeah. that. Yeah, it's not going to get it done at nearly 20% converting on third down, even if you get a few of those those fourth downs, because guess what? Not all 11 of those third downs were, were you can go for right. on fourth, <laughs> even as much as Lane wants to. He can't all the time. Uh, and so they were really bad situationally in that. And that also comes from the fact that this year, as you guys noted, they are not running the ball well. I thought that they'd run for 300 yards a game. They aren't doing it. And obviously they weren't going to do it against Bama after the way they played the first three weeks. But again, coming into last weekend's games for Auburn A&M and Ole Miss Alabama, Auburn led the SEC in rushing. It wasn't Ole Miss or Georgia or LSU or anybody else or Alabama. It was it was Auburn. And that was a distinct lack of ability from Ole Miss so far this year. And they didn't run it well against Alabama either. They had 56 rush yards. Yeah. Uh, Judkins was fine, but everything else about it did not go well. Yeah. The the rest of the team uh, was not good in their 17 or 18 attempts. So the the thing that bothers me about them is, is that unless they are going to convert what they need to convert in two downs, I lose faith. It's like first down, I feel great. Lane's going to do something smart. They just have to, cool. yeah, they have to win the early downs because yeah. if they get yeah. into the third third down and, and kind of their decision-making, it's pretty much downhill from there. I agree. And, and so It's e- been rough. Even on their home field, I, I don't think I trust them yeah. to convert that against the LSU team that's still incredibly talented. I think that they need a little bit of kick in the pants after last week considering they did give up 31 to Arkansas on their home field. But – I just think that Ole Miss will continue to not get that play they really need. And by the way, that's not always about making the play with two minutes left in the game. That's about in the third quarter, third and seven at the 45, when the momentum's starting to shift, can you get that get play? Get that play, yeah. And so, and so it's not always the last sequence of the game. Sometimes it's it's much earlier than that, and that's when the game turned against Alabama. Jackson Dart threw the pick and double coverage on, yeah. a, on a second or third down. <laughs> And all of a sudden, Bama went down, scored, game changed. It it was far different from that point forward. So I like LSU a little bit more because although this is still a year two of Brian Kelly and Lane Kiffin's much further into it, the problems I see with LSU are not necessarily one particular thing. I think they're more derived out of maybe a little bit of lack of discipline. Whereas I think with Ole Miss, it's been a pattern for them over time that the same things continue to plague them. And I think LSU is a perfectly good enough team to cause those same situations to occur. And if Ole Miss continues to not have a fix for those situations, they'll continue to not thrive in those situations. Let's look at some other stuff in the SEC this weekend. Again, there is a, a an interesting one. Again, not a ranked game by any means. But Texas A&M and Arkansas, which is always a, a wild oh, game. A wild game, yeah. It's always an it really incredibly is. watchable game. And so the line is A&M by six. Obviously, again, it's in a neutral field in Dallas. Um, Jerry. I, I This one's big for both teams, but it's for different reasons. If Pittman loses this game to go down two and three, even though he built so much goodwill, and I was a stark defender of this, I'm starting to understand what's going on here. You look at what's next for them at Ole Miss and at Alabama. They could be two and five. And then no matter how much goodwill you have at two and five, it ain't going well. No matter what program you are, two and five's not good. And so whatever happens from there, whatever, they might be able to get on a run. But at two and five, that's going to be incredibly concerning. 
for A&M, this is another game. And, and the Auburn game was like <laughs> this. Win. Right, right. Auburn was like this last week for him, but it didn't stop there. If A&M wants to avoid the the doubt, the Jimbo can't get it done, the all that stuff, got to beat Arkansas on a neutral field. Can't can't lose. Not with, with that talent and that recruiting, can't lose that game. So Brooks, what do you think? A&M and Arkansas. Uh so it's it's really interesting. Um, you know, Texas A and M. I think. Uh, let me see if I can pull this up because I was on the uh, I was I was on the uh, SEC teleconference earlier this week, and you know you get to hear from all the head coaches, and they they you know obviously you know talk Jimbo Fisher. Uh, Texas A and M has had the number of Arkansas in this series since it got restarted. Uh, Arkansas won uh, the first three. In 2009, and then it's been uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Uh, ten of the last eleven, Texas A&M has beaten Arkansas. Arkansas got them in 2021, Sam Pittman's first year, second year there. But every other year, Texas A&M has had their number, and so you know it, it's it's an in, it, it's interesting uh, game because I, it's, it's when you look at the Texas A&M side of things. Yes, Max Johnson did a good job coming in relief role last uh, last week for Connor Wagman. Well, Connor Wagman's out, and there is a reason that Connor Wagman won that starting job in in the uh, coming into this year over Max Johnson. Max Johnson was the starter last year uh, to go, and then you we, he got hurt. Uh, you had another quarterback, uh, I forget who it was, got hurt, and then it was Connor Wagman. Connor Wagman was the third guy. Haynes King. Yeah, yep. Haynes King. Um, well, this past year, you go back into the quarterback competition. Connor Wegman versus Max Johnson. Connor Wegman won it, and so there was a reason he won it. So I want to see what it what this this offense looks like. Where it's all week you've had Max Johnson get prepared, uh, and and uh, as the starter, he's now the guy once again. Obviously, he's no slouch. He started at LSU and then went and he's uh, was like I said the the original starter last year before he got hurt. But I just I don't know. You know, obviously we don't know the reason he didn't win it. Uh, we're not in camp with Texas A&M. We're not in camp with anybody. And so it, it's going to be really interesting to see how at, going into a full week as a starter and not just a relief role thrown in, again, in against a tired Auburn defense, how Max Johnson does. Because uh, he still has the same weapons there. It, it's still, uh, I think, uh, offensively, Texas A&M still has the same good weapons. You were talking about the, the, the difference in Arkansas's offense last week than it has been the last few weeks. I want to see if that continues. Obviously, you look at it on film, you say, hey, this worked more than everything yes. else we've done this Please year. Please do that. Let's yeah. keep going there. Um, and so it, if, if Arkansas can, keep, can play like they did last week, I think it could be uh, Texas A&M could be uh, in, in a little bit of trouble because uh, you know you you saw KJ Jefferson get back in his element a little last week uh, against LSU. I tell you what, it, it's like you you were, you were saying this is a it's not a must win, but it's a really dang important game for both of these coaches. More so, I think for Arkansas because if you're staring at the the wrong end of a uh, of five games at the two and three mark going into like you were saying that Ole Miss and Alabama games coming up. Um, it, things can start to get a little warm for for Sam Pittman there, uh, and I hate real quick. That. I, it, I don't want that to happen. He's one of those yeah. coaches like Good. Ed Orgeron, yeah. where he's just perfect for that school. Yeah, and so if, if when you see that type of coach get get in the hot seat or something, it's just it 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 it's not great. It's not a great feeling. Yeah, I mean, like I 
Like I, I think we're all perfectly okay with Jimbo Fisher feeling the heat. And, yes, and uh, I think it, I think it's hilarious. But absolutely, Pittman walked into one of the more difficult situations in the league. It was successful. He, he turned it around relatively very quickly. I mean, again, got them to a, a respectable level for the first two years, uh, and then last year had just all kinds of chaos happen in a negative way. Lost some funky games. And now this year comes out of the gate, loses at home to BYU. That was a bad. That was just a bad loss. You can't take that loss at home. And so you couple it with, yeah, of course you're going to go to Death Valley and lose. But it was very respectable. Like you proved what you could be. So now you take that best performance of the year. You need to be a rival on a neutral field that has had its own travails, uh, and it's just been it's been topsy turvy. But again, like like we're alluding to here. It's not even about going to two and three. It's about what your next two are. And then if you're two and five at Arkansas, again, two and five at anywhere but Vandy is going to sound the alarm bells. It, it just is. And, and so uh, it is It is taking an unfortunate turn for him. I hope that they, they work it out to, to some degree. Uh, Cam, you want one quick thought there on, on A&M Arkansas? Yeah, I just I think uh, I still I do think that uh, KJ Jefferson now is kind of in a groove. I think that they've switched since they've switched the offense, and hopefully they stick with that. Uh, that it'll give uh, it'll give KJ Jefferson plenty of opportunity to go down and and really kind of be comfortable and and do his thing, um, you know. And with Max Johnson starting for Texas A and M, I don't see as much success. Um, and I do think I think this is an extremely important, like you said, Ryan. I think this is an extremely important game for both teams. Or Brooks might have said that. I'm sorry. Um, both I think we teams, both kind of have. Yeah, uh, extremely important game for both teams. Um, and I I I think Texas A&M and Jimbo need it more. Uh, but I I think that uh I think that Pittman and, and Arkansas will walk away with it we got about five or six more minutes left here in the second hour of the program. In hour number three, we'll have the Sports Call 5 at 5 presented by Southeastern Land Group. That'll be Auburn-Georgia-related. Then we'll get into a couple of top 25 games that are outside the conference before circling back to give final predictions on Auburn and Georgia. So in these last five or six minutes, let's run through these last few SEC matchups. you got number 22, Florida, at 4-0 Kentucky. The line on that's fun. One-point favorite is Kentucky at home. <laughs> that's almost a pick em. Uh, you got Missouri at Vandy. Missouri 4-0, uh, number 23 in the country at Vandy. Missouri 14-point favorites. Tennessee at South Carolina could be interesting. Uh, the Vols at number 21 in the country facing the 2-2 two two Gamecocks, 11 half-point favorites at home for Tennessee. And then Alabama travels to Stark Vegas to take on Mississippi State, who, again, kind of like Arkansas, uh, battled very respectably on the road against South Carolina. South Carolina, a little different beast than LSU, uh, but it was a 37-30 defeat where Mississippi State did kind of refine their offense the first time this year. But Bama, of course, 14.5-point favorites on the road. Guys, take from that group what you will. You got Florida, Kentucky's interesting, South Carolina, Tennessee, Bam, Mississippi State, any and all that interest you? The uh, one of my favorite stats I saw from Brett McMurphy earlier today, Florida. Uh, it, he tweeted this when it was apparently a one and a half point spread. Now it's just back to one point for Kentucky. Uh, so Florida as a one point underdog at Kentucky ends Florida's thirty four game streak as a favorite Saw against Kentucky. That. Last yeah. time the Wildcats were favored versus Florida was in nineteen eighty eight. Kentucky <laughs> lost twenty four to nineteen 
as a one-point favorite. Wow. So okay. it can will history repeat itself? This game, you know, Kentucky is a is probably it's a bad four now. You, I have not physically watched a lot of Kentucky football this year, but just looking at the the way their games have have transpired, it does not look good. Like the way they're beat winning these games is not how they should have won this type of games. Um, and, and so. You, it feels like Florida could go in and, and win this game, but I'll tell you what, a, a big environment. You've got SEC Nation there this weekend. I feel It feels like Kentucky's going to flip a switch this year and say, hey, guys, let, it feels like they've kind of been playing down to their competition a little bit. Uh, it's like, hey, guys, we got number 22 Florida coming into town. Uh, let, let's get you know get back on track. I think the Kentucky Wildcats may have something for the Gators this weekend. And the other one, uh, I, I said it on Tuesday, I think, but it's time to talk to your family about an undefeated Missouri team because <laughs> a 14-point favorite at Vanderbilt, there's a that. great chance that it's going to be 5-0 yeah. this year. And like, that would be, end up being a very be... big Tiger Bowl next week, and yes. that's going to be on our airwaves on FM Talk 93.9. LSU yeah. to Missouri all of a sudden looks like a real important game. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm, I'm a, I'm kind of with. Uh, no, I'm not with you, Brooks. I thought I was for a sec, but I'm not. I still think I think the Gators got this one uh, in in uh, in Lexington. I think that uh, Graham Mertz has kind of maybe found a bit of a rhythm, especially with the win against uh, Tennessee at home. But you know they did have an ugly win against Charlotte. Didn't put up too many points. Probably should have put up more. And uh, so that one wasn't was a kind of bit of an odd one. But uh, I think I think that Florida will be able to take this one. And then I agree. Uh, I I'm pretty happy for Mizzou. I'm not gonna lie. I bet those fans are over the over the moon right now with how how that team is playing and they've got the big upset you know Drinkwitz has a signature win against Kansas State um, and yeah 14 point favorite against Vanderbilt I, I mean I don't see why they're not 5-0 and I was gonna say and that that win against uh, for Kansas State for uh, Missouri I know it's still got half the season to go right but really important because Drinkwitz was definitely yes. on the hot seat this year he was. Yes. and I'm, I'm not saying his I, job is safe because of that right. win because you still have to play you still have to play Florida you still have to play Kentucky, you still have to play Georgia down yeah. the stretch. You still got and LSU. We were talking about next weekend. You still got big games down the stretch, but it built him a lot of equity going down the. Str- uh, if he can, if he can at least do what he did last year with uh, Georgia and make it close with Georgia and make it close with LSU, if be they lose those games, yeah, he he may be safe for another year. Yeah, absolutely. And and look, the Florida deal is kind of akin to the Texas A&M deal a little bit where you know how much more teeth are in the schedule in the second half of the year. That's why you got to get yours early. If you can get Kentucky, surprise them, move yourself up the east a little bit, knowing that four of your last five games are against ranked teams because of the fact that Missouri is all of a sudden a ranked team. If they were to hold their ranking, all of a sudden four of those last five are ranked teams when you're looking at, of course, the the Georgia game uh, in Jacksonville, uh, but then LSU, Missouri, and a really good Florida State team all at the in the latter part of that schedule. So Florida kind of has to get theirs early, but again, can build up, as you said, with Drinkwitz, build up some positive equity there. South Carolina, Tennessee is, is an under-radar game to me real quickly just because I think there'll be a lot of points in this game, and mm. it's a very interesting referendum on the quarterbacks in the Southeastern Conference right now. You have a guy that's very experienced in Spencer Rattler that's trying to get one last push out of his college career. He's had some decent moments already this year despite the team not having a lot of success in their first four games. Whereas with Tennessee, you see the promise of potential with Joe Milton. And playing at an okay level, 
not playing poorly so far, but also not realizing the incredibly high ceiling that was attached to his name. There could be a lot of points in this one. I, I would be very surprised if there wasn't. Do you see any possibility for Tennessee uh, to certainly to, to, to have a, a, a dark turn here against South Carolina. It did last year. They, they lost <laughs> yeah, on the road yeah. to South Carolina last year. And so this is this is the, I don't want to say a revenge game for Tennessee, but it kind of, I mean, South Carolina kind of came and uh, and uh, turned things bad for, for Tennessee really quickly there. Uh, you know, they, they came off that big win against Alabama, and then they went to play South Carolina, and the, the Gamecocks were like, hey, Guess what? We're still here. We still play foot. You know, we still play good football. Sixty three on them. Uh, last yeah. Year. Uh, so you know, I, I think that it, it could be. There's a potential for a lot of points in this one. There's a potential for um, you know a, a, a good football game here. I want to go back uh, to uh, to two games. That LSU Ole Miss game and that Arkansas Texas A M game. I, I meant to mention this when we were, we were talking two storylines to watch going down the stretch for those two teams. Like I talked about Drinkowitz's storylines. Uh, Dan Enos's name at Arkansas, the OC, and Matt House, the DC at LSU, their names have started to float around for that Michigan State job. Interesting. It, it should, you know, obviously midseason, you're not going to take a lot of, uh, you know, these rumors around, but you wonder how that could affect those both of those teams going down the stretch if if they get serious into that job search with Michigan State. And that's a look around SEC football here for the fifth week of the college football season. Again, you also got that Alabama and Mississippi State game would figure that to be fairly low scoring, especially on the Mississippi State side of things, even though they are at home. Out of time for hour number two. When we come back in hour number three, a sports call five at five presented by Southeastern Land Group. That'll be about the Auburn and Georgia game. We'll circle around to some top 25 matchups across the country. And at the end of things, again, one last look at the Auburn-Georgia game and give our final predictions for that. You're listening to the Friday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Two hours of Sports Call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM, WTGZ, Tuskegee, Auburn, and AM620 WTRP, LaGrange. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Third and final hour of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Brian Lavoy, Cam Berry, and Brooks Childress with you here on this Friday afternoon, turning into evening as we get set for the Sports Call 5 at 5, presented by Southeastern Land Group. John Harden and Brian Watts are your local land advisors with Southeastern Land Group. Land is always a sound financial investment, but it's also an investment in time with your family and friends. And Brian and John 
can help you find the perfect property for you. If you're looking to sell your land and get maximum exposure to potential buyers, your friends at Southeastern Land Group can also help you with that too. Call John Harden at 334-524-2756 or call Brian Watts at 334-707-4273 or find them online at selandgroup.com. Today for the Sports Call 5 at 5, five key players for Auburn in their matchup in the Deep South's oldest rivalry against Georgia. Some of them are quite obvious. Again, this is not necessarily in order, but we start off with... Number one. Peyton Thorne. That one should be pretty obvious. The Auburn quarterback struggling so far in this year, as really all the quarterbacks have when given the opportunity. Very important for his decision-making to improve, for him to make some accurate throws, take care of the football, but also be able to make a couple plays down the field. Peyton Thorne going to really need a good one and need to play well enough to not have to start the quarterback carousel yet again. Number two. Going to go a little bit different for this one. I'm gonna, I alluded to this a little bit in the 3 o'clock hour. I was going to go with someone's special teams later. Going with Brian Batie. Now, Batie is going to have a role as a running back with the injury of Demari Austin. He certainly had a bigger role against Texas A&M and performed quite well. And his 10 touches had around 80 yards. But it could be his return ability that might matter. Now, teams like Georgia usually cover kicks very well. It's usually not a great idea to run kicks out. But if you're a team struggling for offense, you need field position and you need a spark. Can Brian Batie have a big kick return on Saturday that might give Auburn a short field and aid in the offensive struggle? So Brian Batie is someone to watch out for. Number three. Flip signs of the ball defensively. Eugene Asante continues to be uh, one of the biggest names on the Auburn football team, certainly of the defense. Him playing around the line of scrimmage, again, going to continue to be very important. He had that key sack against Sam Jackson back in the Cal week. He's led the team in tackles multiple times. He's going to need to be a play big, especially against a Georgia team that might end up wanting to pound the ball a lot. Asante is going to need to be all over the field on Saturday. Number four. Again, not a surprise here either with Jalen McLeod, who the team has kind of insisted on being their best pass rusher, but still waiting for a few more uh, returns here in these big situations. And uh, if Georgia is to drop back a decent amount, then McLeod is someone that's going to be very important to trying to get going in the pass rush game and uh, give Carson Beck less time to throw, make his life a little more difficult. Again, when you have the home crowd, you're usually able to make some more big defensive plays, and certainly those pass rushers usually, usually thrive off of guys uh, like Jalen McLeod, and so McLeod needs uh, a, a big-time performance there on Saturday. Number five. And number five with the sports call five at five presented by Southeastern Land Group. Going to go back to offense for Rivaldo Fairweather. Fairweather has been the big, literally, uh, target for Auburn this year. Now, obviously, they've gone a little bit more with Jay Fair just in terms of quantity, but Fairweather's still a guy trying to unlock at the right times. Obviously, had the most important catches of the Cal game. So, Rivaldo Fairweather in that big frame. We know Georgia's tight end, Brock Bowers, is going to show up Need Auburn's tight end, Rivaldo Fairweather, to be a big part of the passing game and be a big target. Uh, a little harder to overthrow someone as big as Fairweather. Going to need him to be a big target for Peyton Thorne on Saturday. And again, that is the Sports Call 5 at 5, presented by Southeastern Land Group. Five key players for Auburn 
in the game against Georgia tomorrow. 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free 1-889-TIGER-9 to join us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. We go back to the phone line now. Ward Dam Steve. Retired Ward Dam Steve is with us. Steve, how are you this afternoon? Oh, I'm ready to go, man. I don't need orthopedic uh, clinic at all. I'm injury-free. Um, so, um, Excellent. I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. Just uh, put me in, Coach. Uh, I'm, uh, man, I may be past the uh, age of eligibility, but you know, who, who cares? Who, you know, uh, with everything that's allowed with NIL. All right, guys, um, have a little fun with you, if I may. You may or may not uh, recall the Tonight Show that ran for over 20 years probably with uh, Mr. Johnny Carson. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Absolutely. Okay. Well, occasionally uh, uh, he'd have a segment on there uh, in which he played Karnak the Magnificent. Catch what he did? Uh, he would, wouldn't it, he, he had a, an answer or he, uh, he, he had an answer? an answer, right. Yeah, he and had he an said, answer and a card uh, yeah. and it and would then, be. Then, yeah, and then, then his sidekick uh, would uh, so this uh, the question is that medically sealed in a jar. So he'd open it up. Of course, the, the question was hilarious. So I'm going to do that with you guys. Okay. So I'm going to give you the card magnificent. The answer is 69 and zero. And we have to guess what the question was, right? What was the question? 69 and zero. Um, <laughs> I want to be comical about high school football. The amount of points that the uh, Robert Still Golden Bears scored last <laughs> week and how many points the Saraland Spartans scored last week. Um, not not. Not exactly. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, Steve. Tell us. Okay. As uh, Mr. Jack Carson was uh, known to say, and the question is, how many of the national media sports writers picked Georgia to win? How many picked Auburn to win? There you go. 69 to 0. There you go. <laughs> I saw that. I said, hey, uh, as our uh, former uh, Coach Malzahn uh, was say, we're in a good spot. That's right. 69-0, wow. Uh, and some people didn't bother uh, to give a score. They just had Georgia. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I, that, that feels about right, what, what it, you know, from the outside looking in. Uh, this is, so this is what we've come, come down to. Wow. <clears throat> we, we've hit bottom, guys, right? I don't know. I, I, no, I wouldn't say that. I feel like if if you go back and look, nine out of uh, or eleven out of twelve games this year is going to have uh, everybody in the national media picking Georgia to win. Yeah, but I mean, not even one person decides to even take a risk, you know, just just for the heck of it. Right. So, so anyway, uh, the uh, computers are giving us, I think, something like a um, here it is. Yeah, uh, Georgia uh, on ESPN's FPI has eighty two percent chance of winning. I think you said around fifteen percent yesterday, didn't you, Rod? Yeah, I think we were all given numbers between uh, ten and twenty percent chance for Auburn. Yeah. Okay, so realistically and pragmatically, uh, I would say yeah, uh, we probably don't win the game. More likely, but my heart says I'm going to pick this score, guys. My heart says go with three to two. Oh no! Okay, field goal. And we give a safety. Yeah, that would be something else. But it's it's, and I can't believe I'm saying the sentence. It's happened before. <laughs> yes, it has. And who says it can't happen again? Right? 
Again, right. highly unlikely, but but yeah. I know it's highly unlikely. Anyway, I just thought I'd have some, some uh, something to give you guys that uh, cheer cheers up here. So uh, maybe this is both board material, right? Uh, Sixty-nine media picks and zero for us. Yeah, I mean, maybe, but I think it's not. That's not. It's not uncalled for stuff. Like like it's it's very well known that people are going to pick Georgia. It's not. It's not disrespectful in my estimation. There's still lines, and it's also not Georgia's people saying that. You know, I I, I don't necessarily. I mean, maybe, but it, it's definitely to me not the same as the Cal situation. Okay. All right. Well, guys, here's uh, a little ray of hope. Uh, and I got this from uh, the War Eagle Reader. I don't know if you ever go to their website. But uh, 81 years ago, an unranked Auburn team says here demolished number one Georgia in Columbus. I did not know that. It was 1942. At that time, Auburn was 4-4-1. Four and four and one. They had just been, previously weak, had been shut out by Florida team that Georgia had shut out 75 to nothing. Okay. And Georgia's team at that time was called the Dream Team. They were number one, and they were just coasting along on route uh, en route to a national championship in California at the Rose Bowl. But what happens? Not so fast, my friends. We came and we won 27 to 13. Decisive. So, uh, have you read all that? I said, gee. Uh, and they weren't even supposed to, uh, and they just got blanked uh, by a team uh, the previous week that had been beaten 75 to nothing by Georgia. So, there you go. That's a, a little ray of hope uh, for all the Auburn uh, listeners. You know, it, it can happen. Anything's yeah. possible. But then, but then guys, Let's come back down to earth. I had to do it and read uh, Jason Caldwell's how, just how wide is the talent gap between Georgia and Auburn? Have you seen the gap? I mean, I know it's expansive. Yeah, well, okay, I'll go ahead and just break it to you. Here's how, here's how the gap really is pretty, pretty remarkable. If you just look at the quarterback, the average quarterback uh, recruiting uh, rankings or .9479. Ours, .8763. The only place that we can come close to them in this cap is in running backs. Uh, the running backs uh, that they average in recruiting is .9291. We are .9122, guys. Yeah. That would make sense. Yeah. The rest of them, uh, we're treading water. So I don't know. Maybe you guys know. I haven't looked it up. Do you know how many five-star players are going to be on the field tomorrow for Georgia? Uh, I mean, if you're if you're thinking about, they're probably getting five, six, seven a class times four. You know, I mean, they they don't retain all of them, but I mean, I, I would say that they'd have a, a good opportunity to be playing well into double digits. Yeah, I saw I saw Nathan King did uh, did a piece on on how the talent gap is, and he said just on the offensive line alone, there will be eleven. Not like playing, but there will be eleven that could potentially play. Okay, I know uh, when they knew we played them. Uh, somebody said there were there will be ten five star players on the field. So I just wondered how many does Georgia have? Twenty. Yeah, I don't know if it, it would be that high of a percentage, but also you're talking about they have a, a numerous 
amount of high four-star guys that would be top 100 players and that sort of thing. So, I mean, yeah, again, the point is it's there's talent all over the place. Yeah. So, guys, real quickly, I want to I'll segue to uh, the uh, I'll listen to the podcast. Is, uh, with, uh, is it Zach Blackerby? Yes. Yes. Okay. So I was really uh, educated, and uh, I like the information he put out there about his thoughts on the team and observations. However, I was taken aback by a comment he made. And you tell me, Steve, you know, uh, and I was hoping one, one of you guys may have uh, asked him, well, explain um, your reasoning. And the comment he made that struck me, and it was rather disturbing, is when he said that, well, he asked a question, it was rhetorical. He said, is this a well-coached team? Do you remember that guy when he asked that question? Uh, I not, think so. Not off the top of my head, actually, but continue. Yeah, well, yeah. He said he asked you guys, "Is this a well-coached team?" And he said the answer is no. So I said, "Whoa!" Uh, you know, when it comes to players, they're not doing well. Maybe there's a talent level, whatever. You can always coach them up and develop them. But if this is not a well-coached team, I'd like to know, Zach, uh, in what respect and. Uh, where are you coming from? Please, please you know, give us more information. What makes you think they're not a well-coached team? Because uh, uh, this is somebody, uh, Coach uh, Freeze and uh, Phil Montgomery, who are not new to the uh, uh, football college sports world, you know. And they were hired for a specific reason because they were deemed to be pretty darn good coaches. So if they're not well-coached, what can we do about them? Do we fire them? I don't think so. Uh, so what's left, guys? Yeah, I, I, I don't. I, I wish I remember the, the full context of the quote, but I, again, I, I don't think you can look at this so far this year and say it's been well coached. I mean, I, I mean, th- does what's going on on offense feel well coached? I mean, not really. I think that they're doing a good job with defense right now, and Ron Roberts is doing a good job. But I, I mean, just because you get off to a bad start with guys that are well below the talent level of elite SEC talent, does not mean that you're doomed. For, you know, for a long period of time, and it's not going to work out. But I just don't think, yeah, I mean, I think with the coaching staff offensively, they've not added anything to these guys thus far. I don't I don't think that's breaking news. I just, you know, when you say they're not well coached, well, that uh, is, is rather pretty, uh, you know, damning strong language about your coaching staff. I, I sure uh, yes, but also I I know that Zach is in, as a whole from some of the other contents put out. I, he's not down on the coaching staff as a whole, and he's not down on Freeze and the long term viability. I, I think he's just talking about what's been so far. Uh, and again, that's where I would still back him up there and say, yeah, you can't look at this and say it's been well coached so far. Uh, and and Freeze has talked about needing the coach better and that sort of stuff. I mean. Again, I don't. I not, none of the what's happening right now to me is is stuff that is going to bear out time and time again over time uh, over the over several years. But have they enhanced the talent that they do have so far? No, not really. Not not on offense. Sure, on de- on defense they are, uh, but 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 well, offensively no. There, Ron. You know, to say I mean that was a general comment. They are not a well coached team. Well, that takes care of the defensive side too. Well, again, I don't recall the the full context of what he said, and if you, again, if you if you want to have problems with what he said, I I don't I don't know the full opinion on on where Zach would have gone with the whole team and that sort of thing. So again, I I'm, I'm not going to be able to comment much more uh, than I already have on on, on what he said. 
Okay. Well, uh, I, mean, I welcome you to please, you know, uh, go back and listen to it. But he actually asked a question to you guys. He says, is this a well-coached team? I said, wow. And then he didn't answer. He said, no. All right. So uh, go ahead, uh, Brent. You go, uh, uh, Brooks, you, you going to add something? Uh, I, I don't no, think, I don't no. think Brooks was, no. Okay. All right. So uh, tell me, guys, uh, how many of you guys are going to Gaynor? Just me. I will well, also no, be there. Cam, Cam's going to be there. Different capacities. Okay. Different Cam capacity. will be on the field taking video, and Brooks will be in the press box. Okay. So you'll be uh, hooping and hollering. <laughs> hmm. Not not anything like that, but I'll, uh, I'll, I'll be down there. Okay. Well, at least I'll be uh, – uh, yeah, man, I, I'd be dangerous for me to be up there where you guys are in the press box because, you know, I'm limited to three words. And to hope I can say those safely, I'll get his, you know what? Yeah, right. I'll be yelling yep. that. Yep, get his behind. Uh, yep. Yeah. So, uh, with that said, guys, uh, the Braves. Yeah, last they, thing for us, Steve, then we'll have they, to let you go. They don't, they don't need to have it. Have they locked up the number one overall? Yes. Seat? Everything's they locked have. up Everything's now. Everything's locked in. They're just trying okay. to get the home run record now. They're three away from that. Three away. Yep. And we have three games left, right? That is correct. Okay. Against the woeful Nationals? That is correct. High chances. Okay. All right, guys. Thanks for your time. I hope, Cam, you and uh, Brooks uh, have an enjoyable time there. Thank and, you. And, uh, gee, you know, what if three or two actually came about? <laughs> I wouldn't have many highlights. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he would not have a lot of great video, but maybe the crowd at the end of the game. All right, guys. Uh, I'm always uh, hopeful that uh, well, one of these days I'll get surprised myself. So have a safe afternoon and evening. Enjoy the weekends, and uh, we'll talk about this on Monday. Until then, morning, guys. Where you'll see. Appreciate that phone call. That is retired name Steve joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. We need to take our next timeout of the show. When we come back, we'll take a brief look at some of the other big matchups across the country. And then once we get towards concluding the show, our final predictions of Auburn and Georgia. You're listening to the Friday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Time out. Sports Call will be back after this quick break. Now back to Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. The Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, Cam Berry with you here on this Friday afternoon. Appreciate everyone for listening, however you may be listening, and that includes on the Sports Call podcast presented by Coca-Cola. All right, let's look at a few national games before you... you I, I was going to say, does that also include headphones in the studio? Do you think those yes. people for listening? I do prefer that you listen. Okay. Uh, sometimes that leads, if you don't listen, to double questions on interviews. 
and I will leave it at that. Or repeating, uh, repeating um, things that people have just said. Yeah, exactly, as well. As well. Uh, and so, as we continue on, and we get closer to the end of the week of the shows, again, we will finish this show with Auburn-Georgia final predictions, but want to hit on a couple of top 25 games coming up this weekend. One is tonight, and what could be a very low-scoring game out in Corvallis between number 19, Oregon State, number 10, Utah. That's something for uh, the peeps working late tonight to watch. And Brooks, Oregon State, that was kind of a surprising Pac-12 matchup. I know we're not going to spend much time on it. It probably didn't matter to most. But Washington State looked weirdly good last week against Oregon State. Did provide them the first loss. And meanwhile, Utah continues to play a very physical brand of football and, and keeps the scores down. Did a really good job against Chip Kelly's offense last week. Again, this should be a very low-scoring one. You talk about a boring game, 14-7 to <laughs> final score. Uh, and it's and a boring game and a, and a game you, that Chip Kelly, as you said, is involved in. Like, right. I, you don't hear those two words, boring game, Chip Kelly, in the same sentence that often. But, yeah, uh, Utah continues to have a really, really good defense. Um, offensively, you know, still trying to find their way. Not, not a lot of points scored um, for them this year. But it's, it, you know, it, it's – this Utah team, they look good. Um, they they've got a chance. You know, they've been to the Pac-12 championship quite a few years. Uh, they they they're a team that can uh, that can suffocate you uh, on offense. And you know, when you look at a couple of the the top teams in the conference, when it comes to uh, you know going to last week, Oregon State, Oregon, USC, they've got explosive offenses. You need a team if you're Oregon. You need a defense like that that can kind of rein them in. We saw them do it last year against USC in that Pac-12 championship game. Uh, and so, you know, if, if you're, you know, you're sitting there, you're in, you're in Salt Lake city, you're looking at these offenses and you, you know, you're, you're looking at your defense. You say, well, you know, they're putting up a lot of points, but it's, I, I kind of went Steve Spurrier there, didn't I? I, <laughs> <You> went, <"Well." laughs> I was taking him back. Uh, uh, it's cause I was listening. Uh, yeah. uh, thank you. Um, it, it, you, you, well, you look at them, uh, and it, you, you look at your defense and you say, we've got a chance in these games uh, when a, a lot of other teams in this conference don't have uh, a, a, a foot to stand on against some of these offenses. We've got a chance in a lot of these games. And then, like you said, Washington State, it, it's always a tough time to go play on the Palouse. Uh, and it's, but Oregon State, who, you know, they looked good early in the year. DJ Uyunglele uh, was just phenomenal in his first couple of games for, for Oregon State. Uh, they they kind of got you know it was return to sender they, they yeah they kind of got put back into the back a little bit in the Pac-12 standings there against uh, Washington State they've got something brewing up there in in, in the state of Washington I, I don't know what it is uh, you got Washington is going off every single week they put up what forty five points in the first half last week yeah. against Cal and then Washington State's winning in ranked game uh, at the Pacific Northwest man maybe. Yeah. Maybe someone, maybe some conference should go and get Washington State. Pac-12 trying to go out with a bang. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Pac-12, another Pac-12 matchup. As you've got top ten Southern Cal ranked eighth currently at Colorado. Of course, Colorado no longer ranked after getting smacked by Oregon last weekend. Uh, Colorado got dominated both sides of the ball. I think they're going to be able to score this week because everyone scores on USC. But it's going to be very difficult to stop Caleb Williams uh, in, in this one. And USC's been giving up points uh, this year. I mean, they gave up, I think, 28 to Arizona State. Yeah. There was this kid that had transferred, and I forgot from which FCS school it was. It might have been Sacramento State or, or somewhere 
uh, that was like running, receiving, and passing for Arizona State. I don't know. I was watching this at like twelve thirty at yeah, night. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he, delirious Pac twelve. After yeah, one. yeah, exactly. Because they were hanging in there. <laughs> That's uh, where you hit your peak, man. right? Right. Oh. And this kid was just doing everything for Arizona State. One man show, keeping them in the game. I would assume that USC would pay more attention against Colorado, but I do think there's a window of opportunity for Colorado to score. How do you see this game playing out? Yeah, I still think USC is going to score just more than than Colorado is going to be able to because still they're missing Travis Hunter and and I know you know you're like one player doesn't make everything and I know that football is a team sport but Travis Hunter is a high impact player man and and he's he's probably Shadur Sanders number one option in the receiving core plus he's a lockdown DB on the other side so that's I think that's just going to hinder the offense just a little bit for Colorado. I still think yes they're going to be able to put up points, but I I don't even know. Do do, do you know what the over under is for that game? Seventy three. Seventy three. Seventy three. And I like I could totally see that. Like and like one, a forty to thirty three. Yeah, like a forty to thirty three. Like well, I, I was, could absolutely see Colorado losing. I was like going to say it. The over under set at seventy three right now, but the, the line, line is decisive. Is yeah. USC by twenty one and a half? Yeah. What? Yeah. So, so that would be. Oh boy, math. Four, you said seventy three is the over under. Forty eight twenty four. Yeah, so that's seventy two. That's forty eight twenty five. Something like that. I can see that as well. Honestly, I, I, I just you know Colorado's going to be able to score, but I don't. Yeah. I just I don't think they're going to be able to score enough. Right. And it, yeah, if you're USC, if you can just get any type of pressure, if you can get any type of pressure on Shadur, then you'll be fine. Former Auburn Tiger Romello Height for USC has yeah. been kind of doing that for the yeah. Trojans. Again, still not a very good defense, but no. uh, again. But that O line for Colorado's not, not very great either. Good. Yeah. So there should be a couple possessions where USC bothers Sanders right. enough to get off the field. Exactly. But yeah, I think that'll be a 40 something, low, th- you know, 45 28, 45 31, something like that. I do I think agree. Colorado will barely cover, but uh, I, nevertheless, I think USC will still be okay. Another top 25 matchup. These, both these teams are ranked. And this is not basketball. It's Texas and Kansas. That's fun. Number three, Texas. Number 24, Kansas. Of course, Texas will play the Red River rivalry against Oklahoma, I believe, next week. Uh, so this week, though, interesting because Kansas 4-0 to start, uh, number 24 in the country. Lance Leopold's second straight year of starting out really successfully. Strong, right. Now, last year went awry. They lost like 5 of 6. They still made their way into a bowl game at 6-6, six and six, lost a, a heartbreaker to Arkansas in the Liberty Bowl, which, again, I still reference as one of the most random, beautiful bowl games <laughs> I saw. Right. Uh, but can Kansas – kind of surprised Texas a little bit on the week before the Red River rivalry. You still think – I think the line on this, Texas is favored by 16. Uh, you think Texas just kind of blows them out first 30, 40 minutes and then says, all right, now we rest before Oklahoma? Or do you think Kansas is in it till the end? Kansas beat Steve Sarkeesian his first year. We, 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 and it was, uh, in that Austin. That team was so much better. 57-56. <laughs> just saying. Yeah, that team was I'm worse just than this saying, team, though. You, you got a dynamic quarterback uh, like Jaden Daniels, and it's just you, you don't know what could happen. You never know what yeah, could happen. It's, yeah, I Kansas you. is – listen, I don't think Kansas is going to win. Right. But this would not be – this would not shock me as one of those games where you go in and you're at home – which, again, as I said, where Kansas last beat them was in Austin two years ago. Right. 
you've got a ranked Kansas going in there against the number three Texas. Maybe you catch some of those Texas guys looking forward to that Oklahoma game next yeah. weekend because Oklahoma, you know, they look good. They look like they're they're almost back uh, to where Oklahoma needs to be. And so I'm just saying, when you've got a dynamic quarterback and you've got a running back like uh, Neil uh, for Kansas. Things, strange things can happen, especially at 2.30 in the afternoon in, in, in Austin, Texas. Brooks immediately got in the kitchen, turned the oven on, and went to work. Right? That one. Yeah. Seriously. Uh, I, you know, I think what's interesting about it is, is, is Kansas is one of those teams because they're so good in basketball, but they've been so bad in football, where it's like the basketball team, just as a whole, I do not root for. The football team, though, I always like, yeah, yeah go yeah, cartoon-looking birds. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's and, like, oh, look at him. He's and, doing something. Right. <laughs> and so they're investing in facilities in Kansas. Like, they're trying to make a concerted effort to make this more part of what they do. Uh, to be fair, I would even say that dates back a few years, although it went very poorly in more ways than one. Hiring someone like Les Miles yeah. I think, was the first sign of that. Yeah. Uh, and so now with Leopold, they keep getting off to these good starts. I think I'm more on your side, Cam, where I just, I just think that since it's a home game for Texas, you have the crowd to kind of urge you forward Absolutely. in those rough moments. Because I do think Kansas will score. I'll give you that. Texas not won 45-10. They're not oh, blowing yeah. out of the water. I don't subscribe to that. But, you know, when Kansas scores two out of the first three or four possessions, I don't think that continues. I think Texas yeah. can then get a lasso on it. Uh, and also, Quinn Ewers playing really good football. So, yes, it might be uncomfy early. I'm not, I'm, I, again, I gave you the two roads of close to the end or, or blowout early. I, I think that it is close for a while, but I still think Texas wins by two to three scores and, and keeps them at arm's length in the second half. So I, I agree. That's what I was going to say. I think that it's, I don't think it's going to be a blowout by any means uh, because Kansas is respectable, but I do think that Texas is going to build a lead. You know, it might, Texas might build a bit of a lead and then it just might be where, It'll just be kind of close where it's just like they won't go away type of situation where Kansas just won't go away. Um, so, it, you know, Texas will just have to kind of continue to score and, and just kind of keep keep their foot on the gas to be able to close out the win. But, you know, I could see because I, I could see, you know, like a two touchdown win for for uh, for Texas here. And I think that I, I kind of think that's how the game will go every week on uh, Fox Sports Radio and Colin Cowherd show their lead college football guy, Joel Klatt, always has has an almost upset of the week. I like Joel Clapp. He he's fine. He's he's fine. Uh but he always has an almost upset of the week. This is this is what I would say an almost upset of the week this Kansas Texas game. It, that, that's fair. That's fair. Or 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 it could be. We'll see. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> or it could I, be. I realized what I was saying is like I, I don't know if two touchdowns is almost upset, but maybe maybe if Kansas gets out to lead in the first half. Right. All right. Final game we're going to talk about. Then we'll take a break. Come back. Wrap things up with final Auburn Georgia predictions. Game day going to the very traditional, always a big game, Notre Dame at Duke. Now academic <laughs> standards bowl. Right. So Notre Dame had. What was a player away and a play away from <laughs> yeah. getting a huge win last weekend would have been triumphant, would have put them on playoff alert for sure. That being said, this still to me was a good football team coming in the year. Hartman's good, Estime's good, the line's physical, defense is perfectly fine. Freeman's doing a fine job with that. Duke is just hard to know because they have the first game triumph, right? 
they got out gained, but but Clemson was just like, what if we fumble four times? Yeah. You know, what what if this fumble goes back towards midfield? You know, all that that kind of stuff. Can we overcome adversity Chaos. in game one? And since no. since then, Duke has just played a poo poo platter of teams. Right. And so I'm not sure what Duke really is yet, but it's another one of Wallace Wade. I don't know how many Notre Dame fans would be there. That could be an interesting amount. What do you think about this game? Notre Dame is favored, but it's not decisively by five and a half on the road. Fighting Irish versus Blue Devils in football for college game day. Yeah, I think Notre Dame still takes this one. Uh, I I think they'll honestly cover as well. Um, I just think that Notre Dame is pretty upset about that loss against Ohio State at home. I mean, I, I would be beating myself up. Ten men on the field, like really, like in the in the pivotal point of the game yeah. twice actually they had it in back-to-back yes. plays 10 men on the field so you know i i would be very very upset and determined if i were notre dame to come out and really prove hey we are still an elite football team yes duke is is good they're solid but they're not on the same level as as us and that being said we're going to come in here and and stop them out you know maybe maybe not stop them out but they'll Decisive win. I could see a very decisive win covering. Um, uh, Sam Hartman kind of gets right that you know they have a, he has a very very good game, um, and and Notre Dame takes this one. Duke has only beaten Notre Dame twice in their history. Now they've only played what seven times. So Notre Dame's five and two against Duke. It, it's I, I think that Notre Dame is going to be back on the track of hey we got to get you know we we've. As of right now, fumbled away our um, chance for a playoff because Notre Dame, a one-loss Notre Dame team up against you know a, a one-loss conference team, i.e. Big Ten, SEC. This year, maybe the Pac-12, a one-loss Pac-12 team may have a have a, 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 a case to get in over uh, Notre Dame. You're going to have to work, and this is one of those games where you can get uh, you can get right, and you can. You know, it's a ranked. I know. You know, the name Duke in football doesn't hold a lot of weight, but a ranked team, a, win, a ranked win, helps your your playoff resume going down the stretch. I think Sam Hartman has a bounce back game. Um, Sam Hartman also, you know, last year uh, starting quarterback at at Wake Forest lost to Duke, and so he's he's lost he's lost the last game they played against Duke, and then they lost his last game playing as the Notre Dame quarterback, and so. It, it, it this feels like a game where they come out and they they kind of right the ship a little bit. They look good in the in a win, and uh, I think it's fun early. I think it's a good atmosphere early, but I think about halftime, just after halftime, you start to see that Notre Dame team kind of get back into form and win this game by ten. Yeah, I just can't decide if Notre Dame is it, either side of human nature. Are they going to be really riled up, looking to get back out there and fix some things, and go out and lead twenty one to seven? at the start of the second quarter, midway through the second quarter, or if they're going to be a little bit down in the dumps and Duke's going to pull out to a lead. Either way, I still think Notre Dame will win. I do kind of subscribe to the, the Fighting Irish will have a little bit of a problem early getting their footing again because, uh, again, that's just a brutal way to lose on your home field at the one-yard line uh, after you played so well and, and, and nearly had that game in hand. But I do think they'll pull it out. I do think, however, Duke is pretty good. And so Notre Dame can't be too down in the dumps for too long because uh, I do think the Blue Devils are plenty capable. But also, you look back to that Clemson game, there's still some things there that Duke did not 
overperform Clemson in, and that could have been a far different game. So that is something to keep in mind. We're going to take one final timeout of the program. When we come back, we will give our final predictions for Auburn and Georgia. Get you set for the Deep South's oldest rivalry inside of Jordan-Hare Stadium tomorrow afternoon. You're listening to the Friday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Sports Call has been on the air since 1995. This is Andy Burcham, voice of the Auburn Tigers, and you're listening to Sports Call on Tiger few minutes of sports call today tiger 95.9 ryan lavoy brooks childress cam barry with you here on this friday evening fellas last few minutes of the show so let's get into it we've talked throughout the show at various points offensive and defensive keys to success for auburn against georgia but what ultimately happens inside of jordan Hare stadium on saturday uh i still unfortunately see the auburn tires taking a loss um i think that the defense will hold well for a half um and i think the environment will rattle carson beck just a little bit um but i think that just you know georgia's very good very good football team they're number one team in the nation uh they're going to go into the halftime make some adjustments come out i think auburn uh, I think Georgia ends up winning 20, actually 30 to 17, um, I think is, is what I'm going to go with. So I think, I think UGA takes it 30 to 17. Um, I think that, I think Auburn's offense does get going a little bit in the first half. Um, and that's kind of what kind of causes a little bit of chaos. I just don't think they'll be able to hold on to that momentum. Um, and I think, I think that's, uh, 30 to 17 in favor of the dogs. I I want to be more optimistic, but I I want to be too. I want to be as well. That does not mean I don't (laughs) think, you know, we we saw last week, we saw a cut. We mentioned it earlier when we were talking through the SEC games. We saw a couple offenses in the SEC get better over a week span because they went back to things that their quarterback does best. I don't think Auburn has that capability of doing that because what they want to do is what they tried, what they've tried to do last in the last few weeks. And I know you want to throw in some more RPOs, but um, I, I just don't know if that happens this week. I I see the defense coming out strong, holding Georgia. I think it's close at halftime. I think Georgia starts to lean on that defense a little bit. I think it's going to be another game where it's because it, where it's the the defense is out there a lot. Uh, I do think. Here, here's my positive. I think Auburn covers the current 14 and a half spread. Okay. I think it's 24 to 10 is the final score. Oh, Georgia yes. wins by half a point. Half a point. <laughs> I think, I, I'm going to give Auburn the cover, but I think it's right about that 14 points because I still don't like Georgia's offense. They get too slow of a start. They're they're not explo- They're not being, you know really explosive. Uh, so I, I feel like they're going to get you know they're going to score a little bit in that second half. But I, I think 14 to 10 ish is about my my thoughts. Uh, 24-10. Yeah, that one. Yep. Uh, yeah, again, I, I'd love to be um, – I, I hope I'm wrong, and I'd love to go closer than you guys, but 
I just think that Auburn's not going to be able to sustain offense. They might make a play. They might have a drive. They might have a moment. But it's just not going to sustain throughout the whole game. The only way it does is if that defense just is relentless in providing opportunities to the offense with short fields and points of their own. Uh, So I think that at halftime, I'm going to echo what you guys said. I think at halftime it's only going to be about 10-7 Georgia, maybe 13-7 Georgia, something like that. Maybe a one-possession game of low scoring. But I think Georgia leans on them in the second half and wins something like 31-13, 31-10, uh, Thirty to fourteen, something there, something where Georgia covers by about by about a half a possession, maybe a full possession. So, uh, I just I, it, I, I again hope I'm wrong. I hope that on Monday the guys I'll be out Monday, but I hope on Monday they're talking about how the offense was unbelievably good and, and that sort of thing. But it's just it's just not been shown to us in these Power Five games. Quick moment for the nightly TV guide. Our show is about to end. But we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide. No music today because we're almost out of time for the show, but the Nightly TV Guide is presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. Brooks, what do we have? The music's playing in my head, so that's what counts. Um, when I look at tonight's uh, TV Guide, no movie picks for you. we got a, uh, a unique uh, plethora of sports tonight, so we'll start in the college football world. Louisville taking on NC State on ESPN. ESPNU at 6 o'clock. Columbia visits Princeton. Some uh, Ivy League football action. 8 o'clock F. FS1, the big one tonight, Utah and Oregon State. Nightcap for you, 915 ESPN. Cincinnati and BYU, some Big 12 action in the football world. Braves are back in action tonight at 620 on Valley Sports Southeast as they welcome in the Washington Nationals, trying to break that home run record for a single team in a a regular season tonight. Uh, Hopefully they do it tonight, which is three right off the bat. (laughs) How about that? And then Auburn soccer back in action tonight on the SEC Network Plus as they host number 15, South Carolina. And that is your TV guy brought to you by friends at White Clawhorn Seltzer. Thank you very much for that, Brooks. Hope you have a great weekend and uh, look forward to hearing what you have to say on the show on Monday. Appreciate everything that you do. Yes, sir. And Canberry, thank you for being here this this afternoon hope you have a great time inside the stadium getting some good video on saturday we'll see you again next week yeah see you next week that will do it for the show this afternoon and for the week as always we appreciate all those that tuned in and called in for cam Barry and brooks childress my name is ryan lavoy have a great friday night have a great weekend and we'll talk to you again on monday